Eagles cutting in, shoots, scores! They slayed the dragon! Daniel, Henrik, back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Ten seconds left for the power play. Here's Hughes, top the point, shoots and scores! Come on without, come on within. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. Back to Pedersen. Can't find a lane, wants to shoot, goes back to Miller, side of the goal, then to the line for Hughes. Hughes back to Pedersen, wanted a one-timer, pass was in his skates, he settles it down, throws it to the goal, stopped by Bebo, Reno, they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! Pedersen's released from the box, Vancouver's back to even strength, but the Blue Jackets still have it in the zone, Boone Jenner with a pass through the middle, goes all the way down the ice, here's Pedersen after it, he's got a chance at a breakaway, Pedersen in clean, is tripped by Murray, but he scores! Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. 7.02 on a good Friday. What's up, Vancouver? It is Raja Shergill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf. It is Sportsnet Tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 interact with us on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650 650 the smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com pick up a phone line as well 604-280-0650 that's how you can interact with us also on Twitter at share underscore Raja that is at S-H-E-R underscore R-A-J-A he is at Elliot Wolf J we are at Sportsnet 650. Hope you guys' long weekend is doing going well. Josh, how are you? Uh, I'm good. It's been a couple weeks since we've had a show. I think the last time we were on air together was after a Canucks game, which who knows when the next one will be. But we just like the Canucks, we've gotten canceled a couple of times. <laughs> yes, there's been a couple. There's been a couple postponements. Yep, both in the Canucks and our schedule and. Here we are. We finally made it. We have finally made it. Uh, thanks for everybody who's uh, joining us today. We'll uh, talk about all that's going on around the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, of course, the COVID-19 situation is very prevalent. Uh, eight players, it seems like, on the COVID-19 list for the Vancouver Canucks. Seven that we know of, and then one unnamed player. Uh, Joey Kenward is going to join us at 7.30. He'll uh, help break us break down what's going on around the Vancouver Canucks situation. Also, what this means for some of the trade deadline conversations that have been happening around this city when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, also, Israel Fair from The Athletic going to give us some of his time as well. 8.30, you can hear Izzy as we talk about opening day in the world of baseball, Toronto Blue Jays as well, uh, and just all that's happening in the world of Major League Baseball. Uh, and of course, we'll also hit on uh, some more of your Vancouver Canucks with Izzy as well. Uh Josh, it's uh, you know been a very interesting day, or very interesting few days, I guess, for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, the COVID nineteen protocol is obviously something that the Canucks kind of uh, they were pretty like beneficial with, right, for the first couple of uh, months of the season. It hadn't really struck them too badly, you know. Jordy Ben and and J T Miller were obviously part of that earlier on in the season before the before the. Uh, the, the season started, and I think they missed a couple of games each. Uh, and then Canucks were actually pretty good. They never got hit with the bug. And if you look at the entire Canadian division, the entire division 
was actually pretty good um, in Canada. Uh, and now all of a sudden, Vancouver has been a hot spot in general. The Canucks are now kind of a hot team and not in the way that they want to be. Uh, they've gotten hit with COVID-19 and, and it's going to uh, keep them out of schedule, keep them out of action for at least another week. They won't be able to play until at least Thursday. Uh, I think, you know, first of all, First of all, I think the the biggest concern is the players' health and their safety. And I think a lot of people say these are athletes uh, and that they're so healthy as a whole that this kind these kinds of things won't impact them long term. Josh, both you and I and everybody that comes on these airwaves that talk sports, our bread and butter is just that. It is sports. It is hockey, right? We come out here and to talk about the games that are being played. But when it comes to the actual health and safety and talking about COVID nineteen the the disease and everything that's you know surrounding all of the the health you know everything around that sort of category it's it's not in our realm no and it's it's tough for us to really talk about that in the sense that these players are and what they're going through so for me it's all about talking about their safety and hope everybody is doing well not only right now but long term as well for sure and obviously the one thing we do know about this is that everybody kind of goes through it differently some people come out of it feeling fine other people Feel it a lot worse. So one thing I will say, none of the blame should be put on the players right now. And yeah, our, our thoughts are with them as far as their health and hopefully they can get back to game shape and, and we can watch the Canucks without any worry this season. But as of now, it is a concern and you just hope the best for their well-being moving forward. For sure. And there's a couple of different topics that we want to get to today. Uh, you know, a couple of them do surround COVID-19 with the Canucks, and that has to do with the schedule implications that this happens, that this has on Vancouver. Will they complete a 56-game schedule? We'll get into that. Also, the trade deadline. What does this mean for a team for Vancouver that was supposed to be sellers, right? Uh, maybe they didn't want to be sellers in the beginning of the season, obviously. They had hoped that they can actually qualify for the playoffs, but uh, the fact that this season hasn't gone their way, I think a lot of people were hoping that guys like Jordy Ben, guys like Tanner Pearson, uh, Travis Hamannick to a lesser extent, uh, Alex Edler maybe, and Brandon Sutter, of course, who or can they get dealt? Could they be on to different teams? And will the Vancouver Canucks get assets back? How does this situation impact that? Uh, so we'll talk about that. And and also the Thatcher Demko contract as well. Kind of got buried, right? After the cancellation of the game. That uh, it happened. Thatcher Demko got signed. Francesco Aquilini tweeted about it before the Canucks made it official. Yes. Uh, and then all of a sudden, oh, the Canucks game got canceled. And that sort of became the priority. So we'll get into all of those things. I do want to start uh, just on the trade deadline, Josh. There is a number of players for the Canucks that are unrestricted free agents. And, you know, a, a terrible February put this team out of the playoff race. Uh, a very good March didn't wasn't good enough to put them back in it, especially when Montreal had their COVID problems and they had to miss a bunch of games and the Canucks and the Flames weren't really able to make up any ground. I know that uh, it wasn't a long time. They never had a long time because of what happened to the Canucks. But in general, Montreal is back and now they're doing well again. And the Canucks just don't necessarily have all of the, the points and the games in hand that they need to, to really catch up on Montreal. So it's been tough for Vancouver. They're obviously, they've obviously got to be sellers. But the question is, are they going to be? Uh, and how much does COVID-19, these COVID, these positive protocols, uh, putting them on the COVID-19 list, how much does that impact uh, that decision for general manager Jim Betting? So 
they they're obviously still sellers. They're still going to be in a position where the best move is going to be to get whatever asset they can for the players you mentioned. But that being said, Ian McIntyre was on with Scott Rintoul and Karen Sermon earlier today on the Rintoul and Sermon show. And he essentially said there's no other way to look at this other than it being a negative impact. And I think I have to agree with that because, look, if we're all being honest in, in Canucks Nation and Canucks fans looking at this team, you can look at Tanner Pearson and you can be like, oh, hey, maybe he gets a, a second round pick and a package similar to what Tyler Toffoli got. But realistically, that was never going to happen. You were maybe going to get a second round pick, a late one, maybe more likely a third round pick. Now, with each of those players, that price maybe drops a little bit. It gets a little bit tougher to move on from players because other teams that are looking at them and may have had interest before are going to see that they're going through COVID. And we've seen what it's done to other teams as well in Buffalo and New Jersey, and they have not come out of their their COVID breaks all that well because the players are still getting over it. And it's a, it's a virus that kind of sticks in your body. But there again, there's no way that this is going to have a positive impact, but you still have to hope that the Canucks are going to be able to capitalize and get whatever they can get for guys yeah. like Jordy Ben, Tanner Pearson, and Brandon Sutter. Well, I would look at this differently if it was the Canucks being the acquiring team, right? If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you're a team like Montreal, and the border restrictions for the NHL trades have loosened up a little when it comes to quarantines. Uh, and so that opens up the, the possibility for Canadian teams to be acquiring more players. But when you're a seller like the Vancouver Canucks, and you're very likely going to be shipping these players to, you know, south of the border... Uh, I think that plays to their benefit a little bit. I do think that more teams are going to be still interested in those guys because of the fact that the quarantine issue uh, isn't as prevalent in the United States as it is in Canada. Uh, so I do think that, you know, listen, players around the NHL have been placed on the COVID list daily. And I don't know how much that impacts teams wanting to acquire a player. So when it comes to the the return that a player like Tanner Pearson or Jordy Ben or, who, or whoever might get, I, I don't think that the, the positive tests, if you want to call it that, or the fact that they're on this COVID list is going to impact it that much. I do think that whatever the price that they were going to get, regardless of that, they'll still get. For Tanner Pearson, you're right. I don't know if the Tyler Toffoli deal is, any, is, is something that uh, he was ever going to get. But man, like Eric Stahl goes for a third round pick and a fifth round pick. He's got obviously the the pedigree that more like a, a better pedigree almost than Tanner Pearson because he obviously is a better player. He can play up the middle. He can play in any forward position. But is that not a similar type of package of what the Canucks should be looking for for a player like Tanner Pearson when you consider that he can play up and down your lineup and he's obviously shown that he has the ability to score as well, even though he might not be the play driver on that particular line. I don't necessarily think so. I mean, look, I think the Canucks were probably, with Tanner Pearson trying to get a similar package to what the Montreal Canadiens gave up for Eric Stahl. But that being said, that that deal now sets the precedent for a guy like Tanner Pearson and others around the league where, hey, maybe they're a, a middle six forward that can come in and help a team, but they're going to have to quarantine and they're going to have to 
they're gonna it's gonna be a while before you can get them actually on your roster. So I do think it, it's gonna be tough to get that same package. And look, it's only a third and a fifth round pick. It can't really get that much less. But that being said, nothing nothing about what's happening right now with Tanner Pearson's injury and the COVID protocols, like this is all this all seems very Canucks luck, right? For for this to happen right before the trade deadline and a season where they didn't necessarily think that they were going to be sellers, all of a sudden they're sellers and now there's a wrench thrown into their plans on top of what was already going to be a, a very difficult trade deadline to navigate. Is Tanner Pearson obviously like I, I think we say that he's Tanner Pearson's the biggest trade chip the Canucks have, and that's probably right. But based on what you're saying, Josh, the fact that Tanner Pearson might not bring back the the return that a lot of Canucks fans might have expected, I still do think he's going to get back a couple of draft picks. It might not be exactly what a lot of fans had hoped for, but I still think that he gets the most out of any other UFA that you have. But I do look at a player like Brandon Sutter, and in particular, a player like Jordy Ben. I feel like we're kind of underestimating the return a guy like Ben might get. Now listen, perhaps the return's not the right word. Maybe the interest that a player like Jordy Ben might get. I think that's a very reliable player in your own end when you're playing him in minutes that aren't going to to really, you know, diminish how much he can do for you on the ice, right? If he's playing in a number six role, I personally have liked Jordy Ben a lot this season. Even when we've seen him next to a player like Quinn Hughes, he's shown that he can play there. I do think, especially like if you look within the Canadian division too, there's a team like Winnipeg who kind of wants to add more to their defense. Is that a good fit there? Especially now that Nathan Bellew is out, sure. right? Is yeah. Brandon Sutter is a type of fit for the Edmonton Oilers because we know that they need help up the middle, and that's a team that's obviously going to really going get into the playoffs. I feel like a lot of people, Josh, might be writing off the Canucks' unrestricted free agents and saying that they're not going to bring back a whole bunch of a whole bunch uh in in terms of you know trading and I look at the Nashville Predators as a team that really holds the keys to for the trade deadline this year but when you have the many as many players as the Vancouver Canucks do potentially up for sale are the Canucks not one of those teams that are in a pretty good situation here because, hey, if uh, if a team like the Oilers, for example, strikes out on Glenn Denning, you strike out on a player like Derek Ryan and you need help up the middle, well, there's Vancouver. If Winnipeg strikes out on a defenseman, well, there's Vancouver and they've got Jordy Ben, right? And they've got Travis Hamanick, who we know will not waive for most teams, but is Winnipeg an option because he likes Western Canada. He's a Manitoba boy as well. Um I feel like the Canucks kind of hold the keys to some of the trade deadline. Perhaps they're not the, the biggest name, and perhaps they don't have all of the shiny guys like Taylor Hall or Matthias Ekholm, but they do have a lot of good pieces that, to me, are specifically like trade deadline guys, right? These are guys that teams love to add at the deadline because, number one, they cost cheap. Number one, uh, sorry, number two, that they have playoff experience. And, and in some of their cases, they actually have Stanley Cup experience as well. So I, I do feel like Vancouver is a team that's kind of a lot of people are looking over because of the fact that they're not have the sexy names, but they do have a lot of, of good players that I think that could really be beneficial to other teams. So I'm not looking at the, the trade deadline from a very pessimistic point of view, Josh. I do think that the Canucks are in a pretty good spot right now when it comes to the trade deadline. 
I get what you're saying, but I do think you you kind of mentioned it. They are going to be teams. I I wouldn't even say teams second option. They're going to be teams third or fourth option, and it it's tough because when you get put in that situation, Nashville I think is is close to making a decision on who they want to keep and who they're going to trade. Uh, you mentioned Buffalo, Taylor Hall as well. I I think that'll also kind of set the market for Tanner Pearson. Obviously, they're not the same level of player. Taylor Hall is, regardless of the kind of season, he's having a much more well-rounded or just a much more of a game-breaker of a player. But that being said, it's a winger, and you know Pearson is going to get less than whatever Taylor Hall gets. Mm. So, again, I, I think it's going to be teams that if a team strikes out on Taylor Hall, they're going to call Nashville about somebody, about a winger, and then they're come to going to come to Vancouver and be like, hey, okay, what do you but, want for Tanner Pearson? Sure. Right. But if you know what, here's the thing. I get what you're saying. Tanner Pearson and Taylor Hall aren't exactly the same you know, type of players that we're talking about here, though, right? If you're looking for a Tanner Pearson, if you're a type of team that is really interest, interested sorry, in a Taylor Hall, do you look at Tanner Pearson and say, all right, we'll settle for him? Maybe, but you're right. That would be the Canucks being number third, number three, or number four on that list. But, for example, if a team is looking at acquiring help up the middle and you need that third or fourth line guy, is Brandon Sutter right not at the top of that list for you? I don't think so. No? No, for a like, third or fourth line center. What else are you going to? I mean, listen, that that four point two five, kind of, you know, makes you a little hesitant. But at the right. same time, I fully expect the Canucks to be retaining some money if they do deal a player like that. Yeah, I just think there's a there's going to be a lot of teams that have a Brandon Sutter, and there's going to be a lot of teams that this trade deadline are willing to trade said Brandon Sutter. That being said, hey, maybe a team to your point values Sutter more than some of the other guys because I do think he has had a better season and I've said this before we'll give him credit for yeah exactly and I've said this before out of the Canucks bad contracts I do think Brandon Sutter is is the best of the group right and he he has that leadership that teams like it, it would really depend on the team that's acquiring him and these few games leading up to the deadline that the Canucks probably are not going to play anymore, or they're at least not playing their next few, and they have a couple scheduled before the deadline. We'll see if those are actually played, but I I do think they would have been crucial in teams seeing where he's at and if he could maybe have a few points in five games. That does a lot in teams maybe picking him over another player, but now they're going to see a guy that hasn't played in two or three weeks and all of a sudden, he might have to w- miss another week or so before he, he can actually play for the team acquiring him. So you're at a month, and if you're the team that's acquiring a guy like Sutter, would you not rather have a player from another team that has played in the last couple weeks? Yeah, that's a fair point. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf here on Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. I mentioned it there, and and you've talked about them too, the Nashville Predators. They're a team that kind of holds the keys to the NHL's trade deadline. Um, but man, that team has been on fire lately, right? The Nashville Predators um, slowed down a little bit recently, but at the same time, they were way out of the playoff bubble. Way out. And now, all of a sudden, they hold that spot in the Central Division. And that makes you wonder about Matthias Ekholm. 
that makes you wonder about a couple of these guys that might be on the on the trade block in Nashville. Where does Nashville fit into all of this? Do they try and get rid of Matias Ekholm, probably their best defenseman, and then almost throw away their hopes at a playoff run? Or is this a team that says, you know what, we clawed all our way, all the way back, and we can still use Ekholm? Right. Here's the thing with with Nashville. Is that you've kind of got to be, you've kind of ha- got to have very long-term vision when you're looking at your team and you're assessing your squad. Yeah. The Predators aren't a Stanley Cup caliber team anymore. They've got some really good goaltending that's young now. UC Soros, ever since he's come back, they've been very good in net. And that's really propelled them to where they are now. But the thing is, for the Nashville Predators, if you're being realistic with yourself, you kind of got to trade Matthias Ekholm at his value when it's at its very peak, don't you? Which is probably right now. Exactly. That might mean that you miss the playoffs, or perhaps GM, I was going to say Bud Poyle, but GM <laughs> David Poyle yep. might say there, might say that, listen, we need a defenseman back. And those are, the, those are the kind of situations where I look at the Canucks and say, all right, well, we've got Jordy Ben. Is that something that interests you? Probably not right off the bat. So like I said, it's not that sexy name, but it is that cheap name that can play some hard minutes for you if, if you really need, if you do end up trading Ekholm. Because listen, this is a team in Ekholm, or sorry, this is a player in Ekholm that's going to fetch you a lot of people back. It's going to fetch you at least a first-round draft pick, a couple of prospects. You might even get back a roster player. Right. But Nashville also at the same time is in that situation where they've got to decide, do we want to go for it or do we want to you know, just sell off all of our guys? I think it's one of those situations where I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville does trade Ekholm, but they also do try and make a move for a player that is a little bit cheaper, but can also just plug in for the season. That's kind of what we thought the Canucks were doing too, right? Because they were going on that run, and then all of a sudden they brought in, and it was waiver claims, so a bit of a different scenario, but Jimmy Vc and Travis Boyd, and it looked like management was conceding that they were probably going to have to trade Tanner Pearson, Brandon Sutter, whoever, but they wanted players that could step in and at least be NHL caliber. That way, if they continued this run they were on, they could maybe challenge for a playoff spot. Obviously, at this point, that shot is 1% at best, and it's it's looking pretty bleak. But you mentioned the Nashville Predators. they're, They're super interesting because they may be able to be fooled by this little run they're on. And they... They probably have three out of the top 10 attractive trade deadline options this season, whether it's Matias Ekholm, who we just talked about, Mikhail Granlund, and Philip Forsberg as well has been brought up. They're, to your point, in a position where they need some really fundamental changes if they're going to make the playoffs or if they're going to be a Stanley Cup contending team again. And right now... With the pieces they have, they're just not really set up to be like that. And most of their players, most of their core at least, is not necessarily in their prime anymore and over the hill. We'll see what they do. I think it. if if I'm a Nashville Predators fan, which doesn't sound very fun, um, I'm hoping that David Boyle just sells whatever he can. Because to your point, this is where I would disagree, man. Most of their players are at their peak right now. 
For sure. But this is also a GM in David Poyle who has been there for the entire existence of the Nashville Predators. Yep. Yeah. Well, he, he's been with them through thick and thin, but that being said, it, I, I don't know if that necessarily changes where the team is at right now. But it also, but my point in saying that is that he is there from the very get-go. The Nashville Predators ownership obviously has liked what they, what he has done. You don't really see a general manager go from Stanley or from really from exist an expansion franchise to turning him into a cup contender. And then you don't see that general manager then live for that general to have that spot even as they become a rebuilding team. Like that doesn't happen. Usually an ownership group is going to say, all right, you've had your you've had your shot. And in, in David Poyle's case, you've been here for a very long time. We're going to let somebody else come in. But he's also so, he's done that a few times now. I mean, like you think back But his had, team was never a powerhouse until a couple of seasons ago when they went to the cup no, final. No, but he he had built it up as much as he could and then had to he's he's had to go through a few rebuilds as GM, I guess is what I'm saying. So Maybe yeah. Predators ownership is like, hey, it's, it's been long enough, but I, I don't know. I think I, they're I think comfortable this, going through another rebuild at this point. I think this is a team that, you know what, Josh, the thing is, when you're a, a sort of a middle-of-the-pack team like Nashville has been for pretty much the existence of their franchise, right, you're kind of okay with going up and down, up and down, because you still know that eventually you're going to get this star player on your franchise that's going to help you get to that next level. For the longest time, it was Shea Weber. For the time, you know, during Shea Weber's career, you kind of hoped it was like, they kind of thought it was David Legwand, right? Like, <laughs> yes. just there was a lot of these players that Nashville was kind of working with and trying to see where exactly they are. Peter Forsberg in his late career. Exactly. And now, you've got this, then, sorry, you had this Nashville Predators team that was very good. They won the President's Trophy, I believe. They went to the Cup Final. They lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think this is a team that is going to, you know, be very upset that the fact that they have to go through a rebuild because once you've tasted the chance of winning a cup, once you've gotten that close, it hits you harder to know that you got to start from scratch again. So this is a situation where I look at the National Predators and say, we've kind of clawed our way back into a playoff spot. I can't see Matias, I can't see Bud, uh, David Poyle. You're really stuck on the Bud Poyle I thing, know. Eh? I, I can't see a scenario where David Poyle says, all right, we're going to trade uh, Matias Ekholm and Philip Forsberg and Michael Granlund and just let this let all of these assets come in. I can see them trading one guy. Maybe that is Ekholm, the guy who might fetch the biggest return. But I could also understand a scenario where they kind of replace him right away for a player that might obviously won't be as good, but might be able to kind of get the job done in a limited capacity. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, Sportsnet 650. Joey Kenward coming up. We'll talk about the uh, Vancouver Canucks uh, and what this, you know, COVID-19 protocol does mean for the team, how little impact the deadline, how little impact the schedule. We'll dive into all of that with Joey. It's coming up next on the official home of the Canucks, Sports 650. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Sportsnet. 650. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sportsnet tonight, the home of the Canucks. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy Friday, Vancouver. 734. Joey Kenward getting set to join us in a couple of minutes' time. Vancouver Canucks off for at least another week. COVID 19 protocols, eight players on the COVID-19 list for the Vancouver Canucks. 
right now. Out of town scoreboard, the Colorado Avalanche up on the St. Louis Blues, 3-1, second period to play. Calgary Flames, Oilers are tied at two in the second. A beautiful goal by Matthew Kachuk in this one. Coming out of the ba- uh, coming out of the box, goes backhand shelf on Mike Smith. Uh, the Leafs and Jets are headed for a shootout. Sharks have a one nothing lead on uh, Los Angeles. And uh, the Coyotes and Ducks are tied at zero. Capitals victorious over the Devils 2-1 in overtime. That's your sports update. That's it for me. You nailed it. <laughs> I'll take over. Uh, take like I I guess I gotta fill a two and a half hours now. Yeah. That, what that, if I just keep repeating the sports update? Yeah. And be like, oh, hey, pretty much overnights on radio. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> this, so year, this that, is not I, off to a great start. <laughs> no, 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 I want to talk about the the Kachuk goal. Okay. Um. Do you trust Mike Smith down the stretch for Edmonton? No. We've no? seen we've seen this movie before, man. He started off really well this season, but I also think that's just a matter of Edmonton being better this year as a whole, and that's making him look a little more. Because the thing with Smith is he's just like super inconsistent, and so if he but he plays well when he gets in, in the in the beginning of the season. Oh, he's either a Vesna goalie or he is uh like eight fifty save percentage goalie. Exactly, and listen, it's good for the Oilers. It's good for the Oilers that Mike Smith is able to to really play to the level that he's playing right now. And you know what's one thing about Edmonton? And I'll be the first one to admit that I was wrong on this when I sort of assessed their team. I looked at their blue line and I said, this isn't a good enough blue line. And and listen, it's it's not, I don't think. I don't think it's a Stanley Cup caliber blue line. But it's a better blue line than a lot of people will give him credit for. Right, and Adam Larson is a good defenseman. We've seen what Darnell Nurse can do this year. Ethan Bear is probably one of the more underrated players on the league at this point. Uh, and you've still got some young guys like Philip Broberg, and we've seen Evan Bouchard this year as well coming up into that system. And they've all done this without having perhaps their best defenseman in Oscar Kleffbaum in in their lineup this season. So I, I kind of like the Edmonton Oilers blue line where it's at, but they've still got a, got a lot to do to add to that. Uh, and we'll also see what they can do when uh, perhaps their goaltending is a little bit more consistent because I don't like both of their netminders. I I think back to when we were in the off season, day one, July uh, wasn't July first. Uh, whenever day one of free agency was this past off season, and the Canucks October something. Yeah, and the Canucks were still in on Jacob Markstrom, and there was rumors that hey maybe he comes back to Vancouver, but then. The, the leading front runners were the Calgary Flames, who obviously ended up with him, and then the Edmonton Oilers. And every once in a while, I think about how scary Edmonton would be if they had Jacob Markstrom. And obviously, Mike Smith has been good enough so far this season. Mike Smith might be better than Markey this season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that being said, you put Jacob Markstrom behind how the Oilers have played this season, and all of a sudden, I believe in them a lot more. Uh, this is kind of turning into Oilers Central. Well, let's turn it back into Goalie Central because Jack Campbell is now undefeated with the the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I don't want to make this Leaf Central either, but Toronto victorious over Winnipeg, a 2-1 victory in a shootout. Jack Campbell has won eight. He has lost nothing. Freddie Anderson, there was some talks about whether the Leafs are going to put him on LTIR and if this is a team that can try and pick up one of those players on Nashville that we talked about, whether it was... Philip Forsberg or whether it was uh, Matias Ekholm because we know that the Leafs would also love some help on their blue line as well but 
they've been linked to a lot of big names regardless of what position they play, even if it is forward. Taylor Hall is one of those guys as well. Um, but the goaltending complex in Toronto is starting to, to really really uh, heat up a little bit. Where what What's going to happen with with Freddie Anderson, has he been... Because I've always been of, of the mind that Frederick Anderson has not been the problem in Toronto. I've liked Freddie Anderson. I've liked the way he's played. And I have not, conversely, liked the Toronto Maple Leafs defense. This year, they've actually played pretty well in front of the netminders. And Freddie Anderson, on the flip side, hasn't really been all that well. But Jack Campbell now improving to 8-0 uh, as the Toronto Maple Leafs knock off the Winnipeg Jets by a score of 2-1 in a shootout. Uh... On the phone line, joining us now, he is Joey Kenward. Joey, what's going on? How are you? I'm well, guys. How are you this evening? Very well. Thanks so much for giving us some of your time today. Uh, it's a long weekend, and for the Canucks, uh, it's going to look like a very long week because they've got no games till at least next Thursday. Uh, we'll see how that goes as well. Uh, eight players on the COVID-19 protocol for Vancouver. Uh, what do you make of this, and, and how is this going to impact really the, the decisions that need to be made from a scheduling point of view from the NHL? Well, let me first off by start to say that that's probably, probably the secondary item you're probably wanting to have top of mind right now because when you're talking about any players that are being put into this situation, i.e. COVID protocol, your first and foremost priority and thought would be their health just making sure they're able to be healthy, be safe, and, and hopefully be able to get back to, to doing what they love doing the most, and that's playing the game. Uh, but we, we really don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. I mean, 48 hours ago, the team was in the building getting ready to play a game, right? And look at all that has occurred since then. Like, doesn't Thatcher Demko's signing seem like an eternity ago? now right and that occurred earlier in the day of a game day like i really don't know scheduling wise that's going to be a bit of a dog's breakfast i think i really do i think that it's depending on how many more uh, cases are revealed in the next day or so ahead here and that that's assuming there's going to be more we you know there's a lot of people that are seeming to think that there will be more revealed here into the weekend um, that then probably extends the uh, break between games for the Canucks. And then as the schedule moves along, that are they able to jam in enough games in a shorter period of time before the playoffs start? Um, I, I really don't know how it's going to affect the schedule. If, if I'll say this right now. The way things are looking right now, I'll be shocked if they're able to get every game in. I mean, I'm hopeful that they are. I'm hopeful that they'll be able to get everything slotted in when this regular season finishes. But if that's to happen, based on what a lot of people are reporting, that's going to be very, very um, remarkable if they're able to get all that accomplished. It would definitely be pretty surprising to see that get done. The other thing that does have to get done that these postponed games will have an impact on is the trade deadline coming up on April 12th. And obviously the Canucks' standing situation kind of put them in a position where they looked like they were going to be sellers. What do you think this does for the Canucks trying to move assets and does it decrease their bargaining position? Well, for starters, I don't know if it changes their position. Uh, Does it decrease their chances of getting moves? Yes, probably it does. 
But I'll, I'll say this, and I've said this a lot over the last couple of weeks, and it, the trade deadline discussion in the market like this, where the team is where it is in the standings, is constant. It's ongoing. It's always top of mind. But don't you think that if the Canucks were have already been able to, like whether it's a pending uh, unrestricted free agent, whether it's a player that's got term that they'd like to get out of, whether it's a player that might be, even if there's still term on his deal here in Vancouver, attractive to be a good addition to a team that's making the run for it. Don't you think that if the Canucks were able to have made one of these trades, they already would have made it? Like th- That's what I'm getting at. There's How many legitimate buyers are there in the league right now? Five? Tops. Maybe five. So that means that if there's only five buyers, that means then there's probably close to 16, maybe 18 sellers. And don't kid yourself. There's teams that are in playoff spots right now as we speak that are wanting to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what I'm getting at is that if, if they could have traded away guys that were in the media and, and fans are talking about, if, if they could have already dealt away those players, I'm sure they already would have. What does that then tell you? Well, maybe other teams that are buying aren't interested in those players. Or, yeah, hey, maybe they're interested in them, but so many other teams that are in sell mode might have better options in the eyes of a a trade partner that look more attractive. And maybe the return might not be like what Vancouver's asking for. So does this affect Vancouver's trade deadline approach? I don't necessarily think it does. Does it affect what maybe they are able to accomplish, if anything, time's going to tell. Uh, it certainly, I don't think, helps matters in that regard. Um, but we're, we're going to find out. That's, that's just, uh, like, to me, that's secondary right now, guys, in, in the big picture. I think that's, that's secondary. But when the trade deadline comes, and if the Canucks aren't able to pull anything off, we'll maybe have a better indication as to what has happened in the last two days if that was a, a determining factor or not. Well, we Joey, we've seen this we've seen this market get really upset when moves have not been made at the trade deadline. And I look at, look back a few years ago when Dan Hughes and Radim Verbata were not dealt. Obviously different circumstances this time around with COVID-19. Uh, but in regards to, to the return that some of these players might get and to what their value is around the NHL, does it really matter from the Canucks' point of view what it is? Should they just not be in sell mode regardless? Because as we know, this season has pretty much been a watch for the Canucks. They're, they kind of lost their playoff hopes early on into the season. Uh, what does this approach need to be heading into the deadline? Should it not be to just you know try and get as many draft picks and prospects as possible? For, for sure. Like, I, I hear your point, but then I'll go back to what I just said a few minutes ago. Say, for example, a player like Tanner Pearson, okay, comes up in conversation. A lot of people in this market think that he'd be a pretty attractive piece to add into a team that's trying to make a run for it. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Well, what's to say that said team that might be looking to add a player like Pearson doesn't see four or five other options elsewhere around the league that are being offered up in trade discussion where it's a better fit for them and the trade going the other way, whether it's a prospect or a future, like Canucks might be in a a position. They don't want to find themselves in here. And and that's the fact that maybe the players that they're offering up might not be as high up on the pecking order as to what others on the market are in the eyes of whoever's looking to, to add at the trade deadline. 
Um, are they going to be able to get something done? I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, and, and that's what makes, like, this has, this has not made things any easier, I'm sure, for management when it comes to trying to figure out any type of trades that they possibly could make either up to or at the deadline. But I, but I don't, I, I really don't know if where things have gone to this point and where they will go from however long they're off the ice for, I, I don't know if that's going to have a, a massive impact on ultimately what they're able to do. Joey Kenward joining myself, Josh Elliott-Wolf, and Raja Shergill on Sportsnet tonight. Shifting gears a bit, I wanted to talk about, you mentioned it earlier, Thatcher Demko's new deal. Uh, what do you make of it? Are the Canucks maybe committing a bit too early based on how many games he's played, or do you think this is right for where he's at in his career? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> a lot of people were surprised at Jacob Markstrom's contract in the offseason, right? It's not that much different when you're talking about years and term and overall dollars over the course of a contract. But we're talking about a goalie that prior to a couple of good months of hockey, when I say good months, one that he's had here this season and one that he had in the bubble, that's a, that's a risk. That's a risk to drop that much money and that much term on a guy with that body of work. However, having said that, when you look at him in his age bracket, 25 and under, goalies in the league right now, he's at, if not, near the top of that list. And I put him up there with any other goalie 25 years of age and, and below in the league. And there's a lot of guys that have more games in this league than him at a younger age than Demko. Um, but, you know, this is a goalie that they've had in their system for quite some time. They've drafted him. They've developed him. Now they've put him into a situation. And make no mistake about it, this is a season unlike any other. If he's performing in a season like this, they've got to have a pretty good feeling that whenever things get back to normal, he's going to be able to deliver the goods that you'd expect out of a, a number one goalie in the NHL. His best years seem to be ahead of him. He's playing at the level you expect a starting goalie to play at in this league. So uh, I'm not surprised that the Canucks locked him up uh, when they did. Is it a little longer a term deal than what maybe some might have expected? Sure. But where they're at right now, and assuming they're able to lock up guys like Pedersen and Hughes to continue to build with their core moving forward, um, I, I think it's a pretty pretty good deal here for, for all parties involved, not only the, the team, but the goaltender as well. Yeah, you're right about that, Joey. I would agree with that. Uh, you, you mentioned Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes contracts. Uh, not much of a question there. I think we know that they're going to get done at some point in the offseason. But where there is a question for me when it comes to contracts is, is the one of Travis Green. What happens with the coaching staff here in Vancouver uh, in regards to Green? And, and we know Jim Benning. There's been some reports out there that saying he wants to get this done. Aquilini perhaps a little bit hesitant. Uh, what do you make of the Travis Green situation with the Canucks? And, and is that a scenario that you think will be uh, you know, rectified pretty quickly. No idea. No idea. Um, they could announce something before the season is over. They could announce something when playoffs start. They might not announce anything at all, uh, and he may be somewhere else when next season starts. I, I really don't know. Um, make no mistake about it. He's been a big part of the, the team turning the corner here from where they were when he took over behind the bench. I think the guy's like playing for him. I think he's instilled a pretty good system and philosophy that the players are are buying into 
Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that uh, demands a lot out of his players and, and more often than not, especially from his young core players, he's been able to get that. Now, would he like a better win loss record? For sure. Any coach would, um, I'd be really surprised if the team didn't have him in their plans moving forward, but I didn't know if we'd be at this point in the season without him having a contract extension when they started, uh, back in January. So, Time's going to tell. I wish I had a better answer for you, Raj, on a question like that. We might not know the answer to that, though, for, for quite some time. Hey, Joey, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, have a good long weekend. Have a great Easter, both of you. Don't work too hard, okay? You've worked hard enough as it is, <laughs> and I uh, hope you guys get a little downtime as well. Thank you. Really appreciate it. That is Joey Kenward joining us here on Sportsnet 650, giving us some of his insight uh, on uh, everything that's happening around the Vancouver Canucks uh, Josh, it's kind of weird because usually Thatcher Demko, a contract like that gets that gets handed out, and that's going to be the focal point of the of the Canucks. Sorry, of the airwaves, and all we'd the, still be talking. Yeah, about I was gonna say for pretty much the week, right? It, it would really be the the story of the week for the Canucks. The fact that uh, they lock up their long term future goaltender for the next five years at a at a number that I think is really good, and we're gonna get into it on the other side as well. Uh, but it's it's an odd situation that the Canucks find themselves in now with COVID nineteen. Again, we mentioned it that they had a they did a pretty good job of kind of avoiding the virus for a long period of time, as did you know the the whole Canadian division. But now it's impacting them, and as you mentioned, seems like Canuck luck, bad timing for Vancouver, just like always it seems like. Yeah, exactly. If you're a Canucks fan, hey, maybe you you focus on it a bit more because it seems like everything that can go against the team really in its entire history has gone against it. But yeah, when we talk about the Thatcher-Demko contract, and and we're going to mention it a bit on the other side, I do think now was the time to do it as far as as, as getting a bit of it, uh, a bit of a long-term deal done, and I think the price is good. Again, we'll talk about that in the five W's. But going up to the trade deadline, it's going to be, and Joey said it there, it's going to be really interesting. We're going to have to wait and see Mm -hmm. what happens and if the team is able to capitalize on these assets. But he kind of echoed what I said earlier. The Canucks aren't going to be team's first options. And that's, that's tough if you're a fan because you want to be able to maximize your assets. But realistically, if every team that was a buyer got the player they wanted how many Canucks do you think would be moving probably not much no and that's kind of the nature of the market maybe I don't know that that does depend on the price though right exactly yeah maybe maybe Taylor Hall doesn't get moved because Buffalo is stuck on their uh price of wanting a first rounder and a prospect I thought you were gonna say their playoff push (laughs) yeah (laughs) Buffalo won a game they're on a playoff push man no but uh yeah, you're right. Players, teams can price their own players out of right. a trade, but I do think the Canucks again are just going to be. And that's a situation that I think the Canucks should not be putting themselves in. You cannot price yourself out of a move no. if you're Vancouver. Can the, you? The Canucks definitely should not be right that team. I can see how if you have a player like Taylor Hall, then I can understand it. But if you have a player like Tanner Pearson, it's like, hey, obviously he. He is a valuable asset, but he isn't you, – you kind of take what you can get at times. And Canucks management in past trade deadlines hasn't been able to maximize their assets very well. No, they haven't. 
and even at the even if you look at Tyler Mott, that's a win now. Vancouver fans would the Canucks could get much more than they gave up for Tyler Mott at the trade deadline a couple of years ago. But at the time, it was looked upon as another failure at the deadline, right? So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Vancouver Canucks really, you know, navigate this deadline to see how uh, the kinds of moves that might be made. Uh, One more sort of thing, Josh, before we go to break on the COVID-19 front. Listen, like, we we know all about this virus in the sense that it's highly uh, transferable. There's so many points that go into all of this and I I just want to say I don't think that we're going to be hearing about the end of these positive tests around the Vancouver Canucks organization I feel like we might get more and that should tell you about the scheduling and and how many games that the Canucks might play it's a question that we're going to get into in the five W's how many games will the Vancouver Canucks get into and will they be able to play out this entirety of the the 50s-X game regular season I'm not really sure if they will but we'll get into that on the other side it's Roger Shergill it's Josh Shelley Wolf it is Sportsnet tonight the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 Friday nights got a bit brighter. You're hot, but you ain't so bright. On the radio, this is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. The five most pressing questions in the world of sports are coming your way in a couple of minutes' time. It is the five W's. Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, Sportsnet Tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. Interact with us. On Twitter, at SportsNet650, at Share underscore Roger, that is at S-H-E-R underscore R-A-J-A, at Elliot Wolf J uh, as well. Also on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. We're going to dive a lot into the Thatcher Demko conversation. We'll dive a lot into what's happening around the Vancouver Canucks, but also some Major League Baseball discussions as well. Let's get into it. It is the five W's. Here are today's five W's. Why? All right, let's get started. It is why or why not is Thatcher Demko's contract a good deal? We just talked about this a bit on the other side. I think it's a good contract. I am a little bit worried that maybe it's a bit too much too early, but that being said... He's shown this season that he has put himself in a a conversation where he is part of the core now. Before it was Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. You could have maybe put Brock Besser and Bo Horvat in there as well. JT Miller to an extent. Now it's Elias Pettersson at the top, Quinn Hughes, 1A, 1B, and then Thatcher Demko right below. Right. You know, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know what really like I love about Thatcher Demko, the way he's playing right now? is when a couple of years ago, when you're projecting all of these rookies and these prospects on your team, you've got Pedersen at the top, you've got Hughes on the blue line, you've got Besser there as well, and you had that Tredemko slated there, but you're never quite sure, right? He was the question mark. And now you're sure. Yeah, you, you've got your you've got that core sort of filled out. So I love the fact that you you do get him done. Exactly. And and five years to me at five million per season isn't that much of a risk. I mean It's a risk in a sense that if he completely bottoms out, that's a bad contract to have on the books. But that being said, 
odds are he's at least going to be an average NHL goalie throughout the contract. Maybe he drops off a bit, but that being said, yeah. he's still a very good goalie. Keeping Ian Clark is kind of the next step, but that being said, I think there's a lot being made about Ian Clark. While he's incredibly important, I do think even without him, Thatcher Demko is still going to have a great career. Dare I say overrated? Dare it's I reaching say. that point to me. And dare, look, it's hard I because like he, I think he's still undoubtedly <laughs> the best goalie coach in the NHL. Yeah. But that being said, like Andre Vasilevsky has never worked with him, and he's pretty good. You said it, not me. <laughs> I was just, I was just putting it out there. I was just putting it out there. But listen, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Like, listen, five million bucks, five years. Let's not talk about this guy going, you know, the opposite direction of what everybody expects him to go, right? This is a player that I think is going to do exactly what he expected to do when he got drafted by the Vancouver Canucks, 36th overall, a couple, uh, a few years ago in Jim Benning's first draft as a member of the Canucks. Uh, you know, and, and look, just look around the NHL. The Vancouver Canucks are paying Braden Holpe $4.3 million, right? They got their starting netminder, who has been at the top of the list when it comes to advanced analytics for for a goalie. And and listen, for when a lot of players will, sorry, a lot of people will will bat their head and and shake their head at advanced analytics and all of these sort of metrics that people throw out there for for forwards and for defensemen. But for a goalie, a lot of these numbers are actually very reasonable when you look at what what they actually mean and what they mean for the Canucks is the high danger saves that he has made, the high danger opportunities that he's faced, it's right at the top of the league for for Thatcher Demko, right up there with a, player, a guy named Th- uh, Connor Hellebuck, right? And what we know about the Winnipeg Jets, what we know about the Canucks, they've go, both got bad defenses, and just look around where Miko Koskinen, right? He's only making $4.5 million, and you only got Thatcher Demko for $500,000 more than that. Jordan Bennington was only making 4.4 after he made his contract, after he won the Stanley Cup and he got that contract. This is a great number, in my opinion, for a player like like Thatcher Demko. Listen, maybe a little too quickly, but I don't know if it's the term that a lot of people were expecting, but you're also buying those UFA years. So I do think overall it's better than going short-term little money. Better to go a little bit longer term, right in the middle of that hybrid, but you also get him in a really good number as well. What? What will be the final total of games played for the Canucks this season? I am going to say around 48. Right now, the Vancouver Canucks have played 38 games. And look, that or sorry, 37. And so essentially, they have 19 games left. If they get to 48... That's a little over half of the games remaining on their schedule. I do think other teams in the division are going to end up playing more, but I think the Canucks are going to be put in a situation where they're probably not going to make the playoffs, so why do they need to finish all these games? And then they're going to be looking at the draft lottery, and their their point percentage is going to be what determines that. Right. I don't think they're going to like fall below the Ottawa Senators or they're definitely not going to fall below the Buffalo Sabres. But that being said, I, I don't think they're getting past at least 50 games this year. Yeah, that's a that's an incredibly low number, like playing six less games or you're saying essentially eight less games than uh, what was scheduled to happen. That would be quite embarrassing, would it not? Like the fact, look, 
we discussed in the offseason and when this 56-game schedule was announced that there's going to be situations, guys, that a team might not play the entire 56 games. Is there a scenario where they play 52? Is there a scenario where they play 54? Yeah, that's probably true if all of these COVID-19, you know, cancellations and postponements happen will there be a situation where the nhl says all right there's been too many of these we're going to take into account uh points percentage for this particular division now we haven't gotten that far in the nhl but here's what it depends on for the canucks and you touched on it josh is where and how far are they out of the postseason and right now man they're they're out of it they are far out um and it really depends on if this playoff push if you want to call it that remains a playoff push and the Montreal Canadiens if they don't continue to make up more ground than they already have the Canucks you know are probably not going to play as many games as you probably expected this offseason uh, and it also depends on you know the Calgary Flames for that matter as well where will they end up and how is this going to impact the playoff circumstances and and all of that when it comes to the teams that are going to be making and contending for the playoffs that's what it really comes down to because if this team is going to be making up games that don't really matter when it comes to the postseason then they're not going to be playing in in the entire 56 games I, I'm pretty confident in saying that where where does your confidence level stand heading into the trade deadline it's not very high and I think I've made that kind of apparent throughout this show. And and that being said, I am welcome to surprises. And I hope the and and when we post this question, we mean it obviously in a way that focuses on the Canucks. But I do think there's room for it to work out for them. I just don't know. Again, going back to what I've said throughout the show, they're not going to be any team's main option. But that being said, hey, maybe some other players are priced out and teams are coming to the Canucks because they need a guy like Brendan Sutter or a Tanner Pearson because they're not necessarily going to cost a first round pick or maybe not even a second round pick. The big important thing for the Canucks right now is don't leave assets on the table. Whether it's a fifth round pick for Jordy Ben and that's all you're going to get, you got to take it because not only are you getting that fifth round pick, you would be getting a roster spot for someone like Olya Levy. Or if you trade Brandon Sutter, you're getting a fifth round pick and a roster spot for Cole Lynn. But does that matter right now for the Canucks? You're already out of it. No, it does, right? Because I'm not saying you want your Levy and Lind on your roster because you, you think they give you a better chance to win. You want them on your roster because you want them to develop. Sure. And... Yolevi, he, he seemed to be taking strides earlier this season, and then the Canucks went on that bit of a run, and all of a sudden he was not Travis Green's main option anymore, even though he did play relatively well in, in a limited sample size. And I think we can all agree that the Canucks made the wrong draft choice when they picked Yolevi over Kachuk. They need, <laughs> believe it or not, that wasn't the right pick. But they need to make... Whatever they can, they need to make the most out of it now that they've gotten this far. And that starts with this year's trade deadline. I'm going to disagree with you and say that I kind of feel pretty good for where the Canucks are at heading into the trade deadline. 
right? I feel pretty confident that this team and this regime, as surprising as that might be, are, are going to do what's right and, and really sell. Now, will they sell at the price that a lot of people wanted or a lot of people expected? Now, that's the big question. I don't know. Right? Some people were hoping that, and, and we touched on it earlier, that Tanner Pearson might get a Tyler Toffoli type return. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but are they still going to really sell those assets that the Canucks have? I think so. I, I do think so. And here's the thing, and here's the reason why, Josh. We touched on it. They don't have a Matias Ekholm. They don't have a Taylor Hall. They don't have a Michael Granlund. They don't have a Philip Forsberg that they're going to sell. But what they do have are players that are really good at doing the jobs that they're told to do. Jordy Ben is an excellent number five or a six defenseman. I think Tanner Pearson is a great middle six forward. I think Brandon Sutter is a fantastic fourth line center. Now, are all of a lot of these guys, you know, especially in, in Brandon Sutter's instance, a little overpaid? Yeah, I think so. But that does not mean that other teams don't find them attractive, right? So the main key here is going to come down to a couple of things to me, and that's money, and that's the amount of salary that the Canucks are willing to hold back. I don't see a scenario where that will be an issue because of the fact these contracts are off the books next year anyways, right? So I, I do have a good feeling going into the trade deadline about the Canucks because I, I feel like a lot of these players that they have that are on expiring deals, yeah, they might not be the first or second option on these other teams, but as these you know, playoff pushes and, and the teams that are really trying to get over the hump when it comes to winning a Stanley Cup, they might look at those guys and say, all right, well, we can bring him in for a fifth-round draft pick instead of really breaking the bank to bring in somebody a little bit better. I, I don't feel so terribly about the Canucks trade deadline plans. When? When will the Seattle Mariners, as we turn our attention to the Major League Baseball, make the playoffs? They haven't made it since 2001, which Josh happens to be the longest drought. In all of professional sports, it's it's pretty gross. And look, I know there's a lot of Mariners fans in the city. There's a lot of Blue Jays fans in the city. The Jays had that title for a little bit. They hadn't made the playoffs since their 1993 World Series win. And then they made it in 2015. Um, the Mariners all of a sudden have a really, really good young core that's starting to come together. You look at the team right now, they have Kyle Lewis, uh, Taylor Trammell made his MLB debut last night. He's a guy that should be good. Jared Kalinick is a prospect. They're kind of manipulating the service time, which to, side note to me has always been okay. You work with what you can do if you're a, a professional sports general manager, but he's eventually going to be in the major leagues too. And their lineup is kind of coming together. What seems to be their issue right now, and it's very similar to the Blue Jays a year or two ago, is their rotation has a few pieces, but it's not its not really where it needs to be for them to be a playoff team at least this season. They have Marco Gun Gonzalez, who's a good pitcher. Yusei Kikuchi is pitching tonight for the Mariners. By the way, Seattle is up 3-1 to one on San Francisco right now. They also won their season opener last night in extra innings eight to seven um and then james paxton is back with the mariners too and while those players aren't necessarily great starting pitchers they're they're good enough but i still think the the mariners are hopefully next year they can push for it but i think they're probably a couple seasons away right now. yeah i think that's what i'm gonna say probably a couple of seasons away hey they got james paxton the big maple so I was hoping that might be 
It might be this season. I'm not a Mariners fan. I'm not really a Blue Jays fan either, but if I had to pick a team, I would probably lean towards the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, you know, just being from Canada and whatnot. Uh, but, hey, a lot of people will get mad at you for that. A lot of people You're supposed will... to pick the local team. Man. Yeah. Are the, are the Seattle Mariners local? Yeah, I guess so. It's like, I guess it's so. similar to the Seahawks, I guess. Yeah. You know what, though, with the Seahawks... I don't want to dwell on this too much, but with the Seahawks, I find there are a lot of local Seahawks fans, and I get that. But also with the NFL, I know a lot. Like, you're a Vikings fan. I'm a Chargers fan. Dan Riccio is God knows what. <laughs> right now, he's a Seahawks fan, but right. he'll be a Packers fan tomorrow. Sure, yeah, sure. Randy is a Miami Dolphins fan. Sat's a Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, you know, the list goes on. When it comes to the National Football League and fan bases in Vancouver, I feel like they kind of sway all over the place. Maybe the majority of them might be Seahawks fans, but with, with, with the NFL, I feel like not a whole lot of people are, are really all that, uh, you know, loyal to the Seahawks, if you will. But anyways, I'll go back to the Mariners and say that it's going to take them a couple of years. They got the Big Maple. They've got that the, the cupboard of all of these great prospects filling up as well. This season's probably not right for everything that you outlined, Josh. I do think it's going to take a couple of more seasons for the Mariners to, to break that playoff slump and, and get back into the postseason. Who? Who is your World Series favorite? I am going to go with the San Diego Padres. I, I don't know if they're going to win the division because they play in... You're taking the sexy option, man. The sexy pick, yeah. Man, by the way, Padres jerseys, top three in the league sexy. at least. Uh, but anyway, I don't even know if they're going to win their division because the Dodgers also play in their division. By the way, Trevor Bauer playing his first game as a Dodger tonight. Took a no-hitter into the seventh inning because he's Trevor Bauer. Uh, but anyway, even if the Padres don't win their division, they if they've essentially, unless everything goes sideways, they're probably going to make a wild card spot. Uh, and if you look at their roster, come playoff time, they can probably really turn it on. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., the probably the most exciting player in all of baseball. Manny Machado was in MVP conversation with Tatis last year. And this offseason, they just got better. They added to the rotation. You Darvish, Blake Snell, two very, very good pitchers at the top of the rotation. And they also added some depth in the lineup and combined that with some of the steps their young players like Tatis will take. Right. And that puts them in a position where if they can get their pitching going at the right time come playoff time, the Dodgers are kind of the biggest threat, and they would have to play them pretty early. Well, that's my point. It's going to be the LA Dodgers, man. I like the I like the Padres. I like everything that you said about them. They're that sexy new team on the rise, but it's going to be the team that's been there and done that consistently. That is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They won last season. A team that has seemingly everything that you need to win, because guess what? They did win. Uh, and they've got the pitching. We know that. Their depth is stellar. The Padres, as you mentioned, might give them a little bit of a run for their money, but the experience factor when it comes to the Los Angeles Dodgers, that's where I'm going to put my money is in Los Angeles. And listen, for a lot of people who want to put this in hockey terms and we can compare it to the NHL as well, the Padres are a young up-and-coming team. Let's compare them to the Colorado Avalanche. And the Dodgers are a team that has it all, that's been there, done that. I'll say that they are the Tampa Bay Lightning 
If you had to choose a team to win the Stanley Cup that were going at it in a series, who would you pick? Colorado Avalanche. I'm going with the Tampa Bay Lightning, even without Nikita Kucherov. How about that? Whoa. Whoa. Without Kucherov, you would go Lightning over Avs? I might go Lightning over Avs. <laughs> listen, I like everything about the Lightning. Kucherov is great, but especially when you got that goaltending and Andre Vasilevsky. Got to go with the Lightning, and you've got to go with the Dodgers in this one. Fair. I mean, hey, look, like I said, the NL West is going to be a bloodbath this year. Well, okay, it's just going to be two teams. It's not like the uh, NFC West where it's four teams that theoretically probably could have made the playoffs. The NL West is two teams are going to make the playoffs, and then the other few are not not really set up for success this season. Roger Shergill, Josh Shelley Wolf. That was the five W's, the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. We answer them for you right here on Sportsnet tonight. Lots more conversations about the world of baseball and the Vancouver Canucks coming up on the other side. Um, there was something on Twitter today that was blowing up. And I I kind of, like, before the show, so, okay, on Fridays, I want to walk everybody through my Friday. On Fridays, <laughs> usually, I, I, I work at Hockey Night Canada up in Jubby. I'm the assistant producer on that program. So Assistant to the producer. Exactly, yeah. So that's that's what I am on, on that show. I've got to pretty much do everything uh, in terms of setting up the show. So kind of turn my phone off for a little bit or just put it to the side. Don't Which, by the way, yeah. just a side note, is it's kind of frustrating when we're trying to plan a show. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, I, I text Raja oh, and it's like three hours later I, I get a I, response. I've got... I'm sorry, man. I do that to you very often. Oh yeah, it's fine. I've I've come to accept it now. <laughs> it's because I'm I'm working on a whole different show. I've got to produce, you know, pretty much two different shows on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, but anyways, that's what I'm doing on a Friday. So I kind of put my phone away, uh, and I and I missed something that was going viral all over Twitter. And you know, you want to explain to me what this is? I mean, uh, like what what are we talking about here? Yeah. So Cleveland TV, their baseball team, always great. Yeah, <laughs> Cleveland TV, the best TV. Uh, Never miss TV. They were taking post-game calls on the show, and I don't know how this came about, and I don't know why this particular caller got under the host skin, but I think it's better if I just uh, – I'll just play the call for you right now. You can just simply pitch around Ramirez, keep walking him, don't give him anything to hit. The next guy, the good pitches down the middle, he won't swing at, but the ball's down around his ankles. He hits the shortstop into a double play. This has been going on for two years. Right. Uh, I guess you missed a lot of the games that Reyes hit in the clutch last year, huh? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not gonna, an idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather that proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show. Fair weather idiot. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on here. Um, 844-289-1421. Didn't even have the courtesy to call me by my name. i got a few names I'd like to call him. <laughs> he was riled up. Man, That's imagine a, if uh, uh, Satyar Shaw, after a Canucks postgame, everybody calls in, they have a good time. Uh, Sat, very welcoming, very patient, but... 
one day maybe he gets <laughs> sounds off. Yeah, he gets fed up and he's like, you know what? Yeah. Get other, off yeah, my show. Exactly. In uh, other words, me talking to Josh Elliott Wolf in our pregame prep. In oh, our, in our prep. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. suggest a guest, and he's like, "You idiot! You idiot! Yeah. Get off this show!" <laughs> yeah, that was gold, man. That was and gold. Look, I don't know if maybe because the TV station, yeah, it's on just launched, so maybe they're trying to get some ratings. But that being said, that host killed it, man. Like, <laughs> if he was trying to get ratings, he did his job because that was. That was perfect, and and I don't like people getting belittled, but I think it was it was probably going yeah. both ways. Yeah, and our version here in sports at six fifty is Earl. Yeah, <laughs> Earl, we just praised him. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Earl, Earl, Satyar Shaw kind of sounded off on Earl, but it was in a it was in a nice way. Yeah, exactly. Because Earl, Earl came at the opposite. Earl was like, "Hey, you guys are are not giving this Canucks team as much credit as they deserve." They're like, "Earl, they've lost like five in a row." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, man. It's sometimes, look, it, it, we love when we get interaction. We love when we get yeah. texts and calls. But sometimes, and look, if you're listening, you can tell it's like, man, this guy is way off topic. Hey, maybe the host was having a bad day. That's fair. He just I needed mean, a sound off on somebody. His team that he covers lost opening day. How much worse can it get? I don't know. I don't. Well, I think that's what the caller was trying to make. I think that's the point that the caller was trying to make, and the 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 host was like, "Nope, not having it. This is a great baseball team. It's a great team." I don't know. That was. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I. I you had told me that he hadn't really heard too much about it, so no. I just wanted. And I'm sure people listening, we've played it throughout the day. Yeah. But I I wanted to keep it fresh so that you could uh, react on air. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf, we will not be calling any of you idiots. So if you do want to get on phone line, get on at 604-280-0650, also 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Share some of your thoughts. Coming up on the other side, Israel Fair, staff editor at The Athletic. We'll dive into more Vancouver Canucks conversation as well with Izzy and also take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays as well. All that's coming up at Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Sportsnet Tonight continues. It is Raja Shergill and it is Josh Elliott-Wolf. On the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Hope everybody is enjoying their long weekend. Happy Easter to everybody. Israel Fair getting set to join us in a couple of minutes' time. We'll dive a little bit deeper into what is happening with the Toronto Blue Jays as the squad opened up uh, their season just a couple of days ago. A a victory, I was going to say victorious, uh, a victory uh, for the Jays on opening day. Uh, They are taking on the uh, New York Yankees uh, tomorrow as well. 10 a, 10 a.m. Uh, 10:05. Sorry, uh, first pitch uh, in that one. Brian from Coquitlam is on the phone line 604-280-0650. Brian, what's going on, man? How are you? Not too bad. How are you guys? Not too bad, man. What do you want to talk about? Well, I think I got away. If they uh, they're worried about getting all these games in for the Canucks, if they'll be over, you know, over the time limit. What is that? What 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 would be wrong with? Uh, are are they playing a bunch of three on threes? 
or or one period games and have a shootout at the end of that. You could probably get in three games in in one day. Uh, I mean, they, they might have to look at some of that because they they can't get all the games. It's probably better than that percentage way of, of, for a win, right? I, I just don't see that happening, Brian. I mean, like the the league wants to get away from shootouts uh, as 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 it is anyway. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, thanks for the call, Brian. By the way. Um, the league wants to get away from shootouts. They're not going to. Yeah, that's not going to happen. The NHL is not into cheapening the game. I guess they're not, not going to. The other... They would rather not play than yeah. than change how that's, the game is played. That sounds like play on CBC, like at Metrotown back in the day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's exactly yes. what it sounds like. You're three on three in the parking lot, and then you go to a shootout anytime a penalty is called. Anytime there's a little bit of a hack, you just give a penalty shot. Essentially, is what Brian is saying. Uh, th- th- Brian, I'm sorry, <laughs> that, that's not happening, Brian. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the creativity there, though. Um, but y- here's the thing, Brian, and and anybody else that's listening as well. Like, here's one thing that you got to remember: it's not about getting these games in. That's so important, right? It's about where or how it makes sense when it comes to contending for the postseason. If the Vancouver Canucks aren't going to make the playoffs, uh, and we already know that, like essentially how it is now, and and Montreal continues to really widen the gap, then the games that are going to be, that need to be made up, just aren't going to happen, right? I I just don't see a scenario. So for me, this kind of has to do more with uh, other teams. How does this impact, uh, you know, games like with the Calgary Flames? How does this impact other games that might be postponed? Because those are a little bit more important when it comes to seeding and when it comes to, to making the playoffs because for the Canucks and for the Calgary Flames and whoever else, these team, these games might not matter all that much because they're not going to be really, they're not going to have much of a playoff implication to them. And when it comes to the draft lottery implication, as we talked about a little bit earlier on, that's going to be decided by the draft lottery. So, Sorry, that's going to be dra- decided by a points percentage as to the the standings and and to the uh, the order, I guess you will, uh, to the draft lottery. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. It is Sportsnet tonight. Joining me right now is Israel Fair, staff editor at the Athletic. Izzy, how are you? I'm good, boys. Thanks for having me on. No worries, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, we saw the Jays uh, get by the Yankees yesterday, but uh, in the big picture, are they still the favorite to walk away with the AL East? Oh, that's uh, that's the the big question, isn't it? Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, the way that things have started, it's it's only a game for for each team. Uh, I think Jays fans have to feel pretty happy because uh, I mean, it's been a, a down. You know, the Red Sox are in a bit of a rebuild and. And Baltimore is a team that uh, no one is expecting to win a lot of games. So then all of a sudden it's down to the three teams, to, to the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and, and Tampa. Tampa, obviously, last year, incredible year, making it all the way to the World Series. But they're one of those teams. They don't have a big payroll. They have those ups and those downs. They uh, traded Blake Snell, a guy who was a Cy Young winner for them a couple of years ago and, and was had an incredible start in the World Series. Um, so then you start to think, okay, well, the Rays have that, you know, that, that really strong farm system and, and they, they're able to have a competitive team year in and year out, but is it going to be enough to, to challenge the teams like the Yankees and the Blue Jays? And of course the Blue Jays in the off season spent some big money to bring in George Springer, uh, who is not playing for them right now, but they're hopeful that, uh, he'll just be out for the first week. And 
I think the Blue Jays fans have to feel pretty optimistic with the group that they have uh, to even just, you know, it is again one game, but uh, to have the inning that they had against Garrett Cole, they didn't push through a bunch of runs, but uh, to see the middle of that order get some some hits together against one of the best starters in the league is, is a good sign. And uh, the way the bullpen came in after Ryu had a, a really solid start, I think that the Jays are going to do anything. They're going to need Ryu to be just as good as he was last year. And he was great last year. He was totally deserving of that, uh, you know, uh, I think third place finish in the Cy Young. So uh, the rest of the series will be interesting to see how the rest of the rotations spills out. That's the big question for this team. Are they going to get enough innings from pitchers that aren't Hyunjin Ryu? But um, I think that, yeah, it's an exciting time. And the fact that, uh, that they're doing this or that they're, you know, that they've got a pretty strong lineup without George Springer puts them in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest question mark coming into the season was was that pitching and and obviously Kirby Yates goes out with Tommy John surgery as well. What do you uh what do you make of their bullpen this season? Yeah, it's uh going to be a big question mark. Uh, I think Jordan Romano has done a lot in the last couple of years to establish himself as a guy that uh, is earning an opportunity to pitch late in games and if you listen to the Blue Jays, they're very high on Julian Merriweather, and it's been it's been a long time coming. The return for Josh Donaldson a few years ago, a guy who uh, is definitely on the older end for making his big league debuts, but uh, they have really high expectations for him with his stuff, the velocity that he can pitch at. Is he can stay healthy, they feel like that's a guy that can uh, can be an option for them late in games, and then from there you're. You're looking at uh, you know some of the other younger younger options on this team. Uh, you know Dolis last year as well was a really nice free agent pickup, and uh, I think that if you have those three pitching late in games, and uh, that's that's the starting point. I think. Look, the rotation is certainly not what anybody would want it to be on paper, uh, but they do have the op- opportunity to mix and match. I think that we will see them get creative. Uh, with you know the number four and the number five starters as the season goes on, and uh, to have you know if Merriweather and Romano can be two guys to really anchor them, then uh, at the bottom of the back end of that bullpen, then I think that uh, that that's a really good starting point, and uh, that they will have to be creative and flexible with the way that they handle the rest of the staff. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that they're actually in in a pretty good spot. The Yates injury, it, it, that's a tough one. That would have been a really nice bonus to have a guy who a couple of years ago was among the best relievers in baseball, and uh, they, they took a bit of an injury risk there. Uh, it backfired, but all that said, I, I do think that there's there's some pieces there to really like, and uh, that is one of those things. You know, Early in the season, it's very easy to dismiss the results of each game because it's such a long season. But you can get a really good impression for how a bullpen is going to shake out in the first couple of weeks of the season. And I do think that that's probably the thing that Blue Jays fans are going to be they're going to be looking for. They want to see how Charlie Montoyo is going to manage the rotation and how he's going to manage that bullpen and which guys. And I, I think Merriweather and Dolis are probably the, the guys at the top of, the, of that list to, to, with Romano to be the guys in the bullpen uh, who emerges as a, as a reliable option for the manager. You mentioned the rotation there, Izzy. The this past off season, there was a lot of a lot of talk around the Jays and what they would do. Obviously, the big signing was George Springer, and to a lesser extent, they added to their lineup as well in Marcus Semien. The team mm-hmm. didn't do too much to address the rotation, though. Though, 
with the way the team is currently set up, do you think they could do damage if they made the playoffs? Do you do you see this as a playoff team, or do they do they seem to be maybe a year or two away still? Look, I, I think that they can they could be a playoff team just the way that the rest of the American League shakes out, and if they get you know strong performances like let's say from someone like Rowdy Tellez or Marcus Semyon is is a great example too. He's a guy that a couple of years ago was playing at an incredibly high level, one of the best players in the American League, and they got him at uh, you know not a discount necessarily from a financial perspective, but on a term perspective, just bring him, bringing him in for one year to see if he can be a guy who for them is going to hit a little bit lower in the lineup, but has experience as, as a middle of the order bat. And they've certainly got the ability. And I think if you, if you look at their lineup uh, and we saw this from them last year, and they've, they've definitely lengthened the lineup with Semyon and Springer, that they're a team that can get really hot offensively and they can dominate for a couple of weeks with the lineup. Now, the thing that that's tough uh, in baseball is the ups and downs. Even the best, the best offenses, the best lineups in baseball have their dry spells, but the Blue Jays definitely have a lot of the pieces to be able to, to weather that and, and have the flip side of, of being a really hot offensive team going on a run uh, banking wins there and, and not having to rely necessarily as much on their pitching uh, to, to get some of those wins. And that's why these games, I mean, it's, we've seen it in hockey this year with all Canadian division, how important it is to, to, to win games in your division. Uh, this is going to be, you know, huge for the Blue Jays if they can, they can beat the Yankees and beat the Rays and, and hopefully for their sake, they can beat up on Baltimore, beat up on Boston and, and, uh, and and gain that way because especially with those two teams, I think you're looking at Baltimore and Boston having some some pitching issues themselves. So if you have a strong offense and you can take advantage of that, all of a sudden uh, the fact that your rotation is maybe not necessarily a strength doesn't seem uh, quite as bad. A big part of, or hopefully a big part of the Jays winning games this season would be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And it seems like. After this past off season, he's lost weight again, and the hype train is starting back up. What do you want to see from him this season as far as progress goes? And do you do you ever think he's going to reach the expectations that people had for him before he entered the league? I mean, those expectations were so high, and I'm I'm generally someone in in all sports. I'm going to bet on talent, and the eye test is still there. The, the weight loss, I think, is is a real story. Uh, he he was not in great shape for pretty much the bulk of his major league career, and to see him in better shape, I would be really encouraged, really optimistic. That uh, you know, is he going to be one of the two or three best hitters in baseball? I don't know, but can he be a player that is really reliable in the middle of the batting order, especially hitting around some really talented young players like Bo Bichette and then some of the, the more veteran guys that we know are you know really good hitters. Maybe they lack some of the consistency, but when they get hot, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., those are players that uh, can swing the bat really well. And I think Vlad would be in a position to, to definitely elevate the lineup. And uh, I could see that. I could, I can really see him having a big season kind of building off of the guys around him and tapping into that talent that made him such a big prospect. And it's tough, right? I mean, a lot of these younger players we're seeing it across sports, but in baseball right now, whether it's Acuna or Soto or Tatis, 
young players are coming into the league and having great success right away. That wasn't necessarily the case for Guerrero. We saw him have some decent stretches, but uh, nothing in the way of the consistency or even the high end that those guys have. But I, I would still have faith. He's still he's still so young, and, and that talent that he showed in the minor leagues is not has not disappeared. I think it was a bit of a challenge to get accustomed to the big leagues, uh, to have the conditioning that's required to, to still play at a high level. I know a lot of people like to laugh about baseball, maybe not necessarily being, uh, you know, the most brutal sport for for athletes and needing to have great athleticism. But I think Vladimir Guerrero would attest otherwise. Having strong cardio, uh, having the ability to play day in and day out and, and, and have that recovery is, is huge. And I would... I would bet on a big season for Guerrero. Again, I'm not sure how big. I don't know if it'll be an all-star season, but I think that the Blue Jays would be, or should be really happy with the, what they get out of Vlad in the middle of that order. And I got I got one more on the Jays here, uh, just because I, I, I find the situation super interesting. They're heading to Texas after they wrap up their series in New York, and the Rangers are going to have a full stadium in Arlington, <laughs> what do you make of that whole situation? Yeah, I, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a, a different world down there for for a lot of Americans than it is for us. Um, it it will be, I mean, that state in particular has decided to open things up. And look, uh, we certainly have been talking about it a lot in Vancouver the last couple of days about the best way to handle these kind of things from a pro sports level. This is pretty much the first we'll be seeing of full attendance. And I, I hope, you know, fingers crossed that they're still going to abide by, you know, <laughs> and some of the precautions that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, within the, the parameters that they are opening things up. Uh, and I, I hope that it doesn't have an impact on, on the players and on the game and installing a season. I mean, we, we've already seen one series so far in baseball wiped out uh, between the, the Mets and the Nationals. So it's, it's certainly not over. And this is something that Major League Baseball will, will be paying attention to. Uh, I would imagine that there's enough distance between fans and players that if there's any sort of COVID issues, it won't be significant, but definitely something to watch. Hey, uh, so we got some some semi-breaking news here. Uh, so Darren Drager of TSN reporting that expected or as expected additional positive cases have been determined with the Vancouver Canucks. So we'll transition there. And it's also believed that a variant has been identified in some of the cases. Uh, what do you go? How? What do you make of this whole week for the Canucks organization? And and kind of what do you expect to come out of this? Obviously, it's it's really tough. Um, it's not, I think, anything that anybody wanted to see, just based on following the reporting and, and listening to a lot of the, the health orders and the, the public health officers. Can't say I'm surprised that there's a variant that seems to be uh, where we've been headed the last few days in terms of uh, what the cases are being reported locally. Uh, really hard to say how how any of that happened for the Canucks necessarily and uh, I'm sure that that's going to be something that gets talked about in the next couple of days because this this looks like the team will not be playing for a while because this is a this is a totally different type of situation uh, that than the NHL planned for uh, they've been uh, evolving their protocol throughout the year and 
and, and trying to be flexible with it. But uh, we're, we're dealing with something here that is something that they haven't, that they hadn't really considered prior to the season or at least put so in writing. And so now uh, they're going to have to be operating on the fly. And uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's rough news for everybody involved. That's for sure. Yeah. Is he uh Israel Fair, by the way, our guest here uh, on Sports 650. Uh, you know, there's been so much sort of bad news surrounding COVID-19. And, and as mentioned right now, Darren Drager coming out with another uh, a, a terrible story in regards to COVID-19 and the Canucks. But I, I kind of want to get off this for a little bit and, and just talk about the positive that came out of Canuckland a couple of days ago before uh, all of the cancellations. And, and that was the new uh, deal for goaltender Thatcher Demko. To you, was it a little surprising that he got that five-year term uh, in Vancouver? Yeah, immediately I was taken aback. I was uh, <laughs> not sure if it was a true report or not because it, it did seem like uh, he would probably be headed toward a bridge, but then uh, with a little bit of time to, to sit on it, uh, look, they're making a bet on a guy that uh, they've been betting on for a long time. I mean, it's it's so funny with this team and this franchise, the way that uh, the fan base and, and maybe us in the media too uh, have uh, the, our perception of the goalies and you know, he was the goalie of the future before Jacob Markstrom really solidified his spot as the Canucks starter. And uh, while he's been, you know, Demko's been great in the last few weeks for this team. He's been the best player on the team. He's looked like a top five goalie in the league. And the Canucks are trying to, to you know, mitigate that to a certain degree. They're, so they're betting on him. They're, they're, they're telling him look, we've bet on you since the 2014 draft. We've had high expectations for you since then. And we're going to go, we're going to go a little bit longer than people thought. And we're going to give you a little bit more money. But if you, you know, if he plays at that level and, and went to unrestricted free agency, we'd be looking at a significantly larger contract from a cap hit perspective. So the Canucks are, uh, were at least willing to commit to him as, as a guy that they're going to commit significant dollars to, but not top end goalie numbers are you know even you know even with a million more if you're talking about in that markstrom range uh for a guy that's obviously older than demko um it, it changes the calculus a little bit so he's, he's still young they definitely believe that he still has you know that runway of three four five years where he can play at a high level i would say with any goalie contract that there's a degree of uncertainty but i think they've they feel really comfortable with it because they know him very well. They've done their homework. They have gone through some ups and downs with him, uh, whether it's uh, his play in the NHL or just his development. But he's always settled in really nicely. He had uh, a few years ago a really great year at the AHL level. Uh, and really since the bubble last year, with the exception of uh, a handful of rough starts early this year, when I think we can all agree the team itself was not playing very well. Uh, he is absolutely settled in and, and looks like a guy that the that that they should be betting on, and uh, it gives them some it gives them some cap certainty at that position anyway, where they know okay, uh, by and large we're not going to have to worry about this, and we're going to have uh, the opportunity to to dive deeper into the contracts that we're waiting for this summer, the Pedersen contract, the Hughes contract, and uh, trying to build out this team to to make it a contender to to put the necessary depth players around the really high-end young players that this team has put in place. Hey, Izzy, really appreciate your time and your insight, man. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
You got it, boys. Take care, all right? That is Israel Fair, staff editor at The Athletic here in Vancouver. You can also catch him uh, on these very airwaves with Alex Blair for a show that they call On Air. Uh, you can catch them this Sunday uh, as they take over the airwaves for a couple of hours uh, on air, Israel Fair and Alex Blair. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf will uh, dive deeper into some of the semi-breaking news regarding the Vancouver Canucks, uh, what's happening on the other side. We'll also hear from what the cancellations and everything means for Vancouver. We'll hear from Dave Pinota, who was on these airwaves earlier on today. It is Roger Shergill, it is Josh Elliott Wolf on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. 903 Final Hour, Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. Thanks so much for giving us some of your time today on a long weekend. Really appreciate it. Hope you guys are off to a good start on this Friday night in Vancouver. A little bit of breaking news in that last segment. Reports from Darren Dreger on Twitter saying that, as expected, additional positive cases have been determined with the Vancouver Canucks. It is also believed that a variant has been identified in some of the cases. The latest round of positive test results was received this evening, so we will get a, an official update from the National Hockey League uh, at some point as well. Vancouver Canucks games already scheduled, sorry, rescheduled, uh, or postponed, I should say, actually, uh, until next week at least. Vancouver Canucks are supposed to be back in action uh, on Thursday uh, against the Calgary Flames. Will that happen? Who knows? Doesn't seem like it, to be honest with you. And Josh, we talked about this in the 5Ws as well. The Canucks are probably more and more unlikely now to to really hit the 56-game mark to end off their season. I do feel like it's going to be a little bit less. And this is not me, you know, giving a report or anything, but just based on everything that's happening, uh, and it's something that we talked about in the beginning of the year as well, if cases begin to really start popping up around the NHL, will the league be okay with with uh, playing less than 56 games and, and just taking the points percentage to make the playoffs? Now, that doesn't look like it's going to happen because the Canucks are going to be on their way out of the playoffs, obviously, but it still could be a situation where the league looks at it and says, all right, the Canucks... Uh, we we cannot have you playing more games, uh, number one, because of all the COVID-19 tests, and number two, because the scheduling just doesn't make sense. You're already not going to be playing in the playoffs, so let's shut it down before we even reach that 56-game mark. That's becoming more and more like a reality as, as all of these sort of tests start to, to really come in now. Yeah, for sure, and especially because the variant is supposedly more transmissible, uh, that just makes it a tougher situation for the Canucks to get back to game action until yeah. essentially everyone's quarantined and 100% testing negative. So it makes it a bit tougher not only for the team but for other uh, the other six teams around the North Division because they kind of have to wait to play the Canucks as well. I mean, some right. some teams have wrapped up their series against Vancouver, but most of them haven't, and so – this is gonna kind of have a have way make waves around the Canadian division, and we'll it'll be interesting to see if all the playoff teams finish with the same amount of games, or if there's gonna be say say the Canucks play 48 and a team like the Edmonton Oilers play 52. So it, it's gonna be weird to see how the NHL kind of figures it out, but 
You know, I have to. Uh... Well, yeah. The thing with the North Division is that a lot of the playoffs have kind of been set. Unfortunately for the Canucks, they they weren't able to you know dig themselves out of the hole. Uh, and for the Calgary Flames, they were hoping that the Daryl Sutter move can really make them right back into the playoff push, similar to how the Nashville Predators were, but. It just hasn't happened, and it's obviously looking tougher and tougher as we sort of begin to to dive deeper into all that's happening in the COVID-19 landscape with this new variant, with the, the target demographic, it seems like, that it really targets, which is 20 to 39-year-old people, uh, and as we know, that is uh, most athletes in in the world of sports. So a very tough situation. Hope everybody in the Canucks organization uh, is doing well. That's the main priority. Josh is their health, and and hope everybody is is okay. Uh, as as a, a big chunk of the team is put on the COVID nineteen list, and uh, we'll find out the additional names that have tested positive earlier on today. Uh, that uh, that will also be on that list. Uh, we'll find that that out. Probably uh, tomorrow, I would imagine. Uh, Josh Elliott Wolf, Roger Shergill. We we dove. Uh, sorry, we, we were talking about how this impacts the the scheduling and how this impacts the the trade deadline for the Canucks. And that's what a lot of the shows on these very airwaves were talking about earlier on today. Dave Penyota was on the show uh, earlier on today. He he spoke about the similarity of these COVID situations that we've seen in and around the National Hockey League in comparison to the Buffalo Sabres and to the New Jersey Devils. Here is Dave Pinota from earlier on today. Right, yeah. I mean, this, this is also reminiscent of the start of the season with Dallas. Same, same situation. They had 20-odd guys on their list at the end of it. New Jersey was in and around 20 as well, with staff members included. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's sometimes, like I said, this can... You know, one guy gets it, and then it just rips through the whole team, um, you know, because everyone's with each other. So it, it, it could result, and the league's going to take this um, as slowly as they, as, as they can. They want to make sure that they've got a better understanding. We've got more results coming today. Um, you know, they're going to monitor the situation over the next few days and then decide if this needs to be prolonged. Um, you know, hopefully it, it doesn't, but, I mean, there's precedent. They know what they're doing. Now it's just a matter of the schedule makers having to rejuggle things. Uh, the unfortunate thing here is, and you know we've we've talked about this. This is going to be a tough time for a lot of the Canucks and their families, and uh, the mental toll that this takes uh, on people wondering: Do they have it? Do they not? It's 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 yeah. going to be tough. So you have to think about the human side of it. But on the hockey side of things, you know the show does go on, and the trade deadline is April twelfth, and that's. Likely not going to change. How much does this affect what the Canucks can or won't be able to do uh, going into April 12th? I mean, yeah, we're 10 days away. We're still within a time period where you're, you know, there's going to be some kind of protocol in place anyway. So I don't think it's going to have a big impact in terms of making moves. It may, you know, force Jim Benning's hand in terms of what direction he, he wants to go in or thinks he's, he's going to go in here. If he's going to sell off some pieces, well, you know, you're only going to have a few days before the deadline. Can you make up any ground? I'm not, I'm not so sure. So if anything, I think this perhaps escalates the, the possibility of them selling off some pieces, um, but I don't think it'll have much of an effect overall. You know, because again, they, they're going to have to quarantine. So teams, teams are going to know and, and already know what they're dealing with right out of the gate. Um, so I don't think it's going to have an adverse effect from that perspective. As I mentioned, if anything, it might speed up the process in, in deciding, okay, we've got to, 
you know, move players X, Y, and Z. Well, one of the players that we'll be mentioning is uh, Tanner Pearson. Uh, over the last week, we've heard plenty of talks about the conversation being initially started. Uh, not much follow-up when it comes to contract negotiations. What's your sense on Tanner Pearson and, and him staying past the deadline in Vancouver? I mean, if, if there's no contract or no indication that they're going to be able to realistically get him signed, I don't see why you should keep him, quite frankly. Um, you know, you, you sell him off, you get some assets and save some bucks and go from there. Um, but if, you know, somehow they have a, a really positive conversation here um, in these next 10 days and say, yep, you know what, I can, I'm willing to stay here for this amount, the offer makes sense, and we'll sign it. Um, that's the only thing that I think would sway, would sway that decision. But I just, I haven't heard it trending in that direction. Um, you know, even though it was great that, you know, they had a conversation over the weekend to kind of really get the ball going, uh, rolling here, excuse me. I just, I, I don't see the Canucks being in a, in a position to sign Tanner Pearson for a competitive deal, which is, I would think at least three and a half million a season, um, you know, for, for this player and what he brings. I just don't know if the Canucks are prepared or willing to do that. Well, the the reality is, Dave. I mean, we've we've been and, and you've been on the forefront of this with us over the last month here about you know the conversations that uh, haven't been happening until more recently. But you know, the Canucks wanted to get Thatcher Demko done, and they got it done. Like, what did that take? A week? It went zero to a hundred real quick uh, in the yep. in those negotiations. I can't imagine Tanner Pearson and his agent are looking at that and being like. All right, I think I think that lets us know where we stand, right? I mean, perhaps I, I can tell you I, I know that that they felt that they were second on the list behind Demko, and that that's not I'm not trying to say that that's a bad thing or anything. They just knew that right. the Canucks had their priority, and okay, they're going to lock in Demko. And you're right, that happened in really short order. Very quickly, that contract came together, and, and they got that done. And then you know they they look elsewhere and focus in other elements. And I you would think. That, that Tanner Pearson would be the next one on that list. Um, but, you know, you come out publicly a month ago and say that you want to get somebody signed and you don't really get the ball rolling. It, it, it leads some frustration on the player's side, I would imagine. So, you know, we'll see. Again, I, I, they, they got that order of business done. They've obviously got to figure out what the heck's going on internally with, with uh, COVID and all that. But, you know, again, there's a trade deadline in 10 days. There's some business that still needs to be um, – still need to take place here, and they got to figure out what they're doing with this guy. You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Dave Pinota of the fourth period. Dave, uh, the big news uh, outside of uh, the unfortunate COVID news for the Canucks has been Thatcher Demko and his contract, 5 by 5 uh, Your thoughts on that contract, and essentially, you know, some see it as a risk. He's only played 62 regular season games, but where do you stand on this contract for the Canucks and the future of it? Yeah, it's definitely a risk. It's a calculated one. I mean, they're certainly of the belief that that Thatcher Demko is a legit number one and is going to be a star goaltender in this in this league. Um, you know, talking to some people around the league, it seems like that that was a little aggressive uh, in terms of getting him locked in based on the small sample size of games that he had. But to give him twenty five million over five could turn around, and, and that could be a huge win for the organization. Um, you know, so it's again, yeah, it's a risk. It's a calculated one, but I think. It was one that, that the Canucks are certainly comfortable with. I think overall, if he does project to be that goalie, that $5 million bucks in a few seasons is going to be a steal. Um, but, again, the sample size, based on what we've seen with other goalies, like Jordan Bennington, for example, you know, even though leads St. Louis to the Stanley Cup, he signed a two-year show-me deal to, to prove that it wasn't just a fluke, and then he comes back and signs his big six-time-six. 
Um, obviously, they didn't want to go in that direction. They wanted something locked in now, and it's a position they don't have to worry about, presumably, for the next five years. And we, We've thought about it a lot now, and Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are the two next big ones. Um, it seems yep. as though the Canucks have kind of earmarked about $15 million to get both of them signed, combined. Uh, how that shakes down, who gets what, I don't know. Are they identical? That could happen too. But uh, is that is that what you're hearing as far as what the Canucks expect to do? And they probably expect bridge contracts for those two players. I mean, I would think bridge definitely for Quinn Hughes. Um, you know, he's he doesn't have uh, full RFA rights. You know, he's he's he can't receive a, an offer sheet right. um, be, because of his contractual situation. So that's a huge plus for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, they could literally say we're going to give you two years at. Five million per, and you don't like it? Well, go in the corner, cry about it, and come back to us when you're comfortable. So, I mean, it it, it kind of forces the player's hand a little bit here. Um, I, I'm not saying they're going to do that, but th- there's a lot more leverage in Elias Pettersson's side than there is uh, on on Quinn Hughes's side. And I think the Canucks are going to be fair and they'll figure it out. But I suspect that because you know you're looking at yeah, roughly 15 million bucks that you allocate to the two guys, I would suspect that you're probably going to see the Canucks go in the direction of giving, you know, PD the bigger deal and having Quinn Hughes on a, on a shorter deal because of cap purposes. And then, you know, in a couple of years, you worry about it and sign him to that, that big deal at that point. Dave, looking at what's going on in Vancouver with the, uh, the COVID, uh, you know, protocol list and, and the cases and in really increasing across the country, uh, it's created that discussion of, do you think the actual 56 game schedule will be completed is the NHLPA maybe going to advocate if the games are not meaningful? Uh, can you can you can them? Uh, your thoughts on that? Is that a realistic thought you think uh, in the NHL right now amongst the discussions with the PA? Not moment. Um, not from excuse me. Not from what I'm hearing. Um, I, I think that's more so something that's going to be geared towards later on in the season. Uh, so you know, in uh, three weeks from now, if we get to a position where this happens again with another team, then, okay, well, maybe at that point, based on how the schedule looks, maybe they're going to you know, have to say, okay, we're just not going to get these other four games in because Detroit, for example, is out of the mix and they've got you know, the, the bulk of the game. So I, right now they want to get the full 56 in across the board, um, and that's kind of the mindset. We're going to see some games get rescheduled here. We already saw one where uh, a game that got moved, um, moved up in the schedule between Winnipeg and Ottawa, I believe, that got moved up to next week. So I think we're going to see some juggling in the North Division and then these Canucks games um, push towards the end of the season so we can get the full 56 in there. Uh, What's going on uh, league-wide as we get closer to the deadline? I mean, Nashville is probably not going to be the seller we thought they would be a a little while ago. Philly, it feels like maybe they're thinking of doing something big, but maybe they hold off to the offseason. Who's the big players at the deadline, or uh, are we just going to expect a not-so-busy deadline? I still think we're going to see activity. I I still think we're going to see some teams, you know, certainly sell some guys and others buy. I I don't think we're going to sit here and at the end of the day look at 25 to 30 deals. We'll probably be in the, I would imagine, the high teens, maybe the 20 marks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Nashville kind of messed up the marketplace a little bit because they started winning a little, um, which sucks for us because it might be less to talk about uh, over the next little while. But, 
um, they still have pieces that they can move. And I think with the injuries that mounted up for this team, they lost the other night. Uh, I think it, it's them coming back down to earth a little bit and, and, you know, pushing the envelope in terms of making a move. The guys like Granlin and Halla, I, I think are probably on the go. Um, you know, do they sit back and say, well, maybe we don't have to move Matias at home right now. If we don't get, you know, a first and a, and a prospect and perhaps another asset, they could hang tight. Uh, from from that side of things, you know, whether it's a Forsberg or Arvidsson, maybe they look to do a hockey type deal in the off season and ride things out this year. But there are going to be some players that are going to be moved, and, and and a bunch of them. We know that Detroit, we know Nash, uh, excuse me, New Jersey, um, you know, Ottawa is a clear seller. The Buffalo Sabers got a bunch of guys, and there are teams that are willing to explore, like you said, Philly and others, the hockey type deal, and whether that sets the bar for, you know, a, a, an off season of flurry movement. Then, then maybe, um, but there, there's going to be some conversations. I know there's one team, I mean, Philly's one team that's looking to make a big hockey move. There's a team in the West as well you know, on the U.S. side that's looking to make a splash uh, from, from a hockey trade perspective. Um, whether they can maneuver that in the next 10 days or it sets the, 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 the storyline for the offseason, not quite sure, but there are teams that are looking to do more of these hockey-type deals, and that could, if things piece together, add to the uh, excitement we're going to see hopefully in the next 10 days. That is Dave Pignotta. Earlier on today on Sportsnet 650, talking about the uh, COVID-19 situation in regards to the National Hockey League and the Vancouver Canucks and what this means for all that is going on uh, around the National Hockey League, uh, trade deadline scheduling, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And again, if you guys haven't uh, or weren't listening earlier on, uh, news coming down just a few minutes ago from Darren Drager saying additional positive cases have been determined within the Vancouver Canucks. It is also believed that a variant has been identified in some of those cases. The latest round of positive test results was received earlier this evening. So uh, not great for the, for the Vancouver Canucks in, in that situation, Josh. Yeah, and we get a text in, Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Unsigned, by the way, until it is confirmed by the actual league office, the Canucks, and not the Peanut Gallery, which is the sports radio media who think they can run the league and cannot shut up at the best of times, stop speculating, and let the league and the Canucks give the information whether they can not finish the season. Well, the... This is our job. It is our job. But listen, I'm not speculating, right? And I'm not saying that they are going to finish the season. I'm just giving my prediction and, and saying this. This is what it comes down to. It doesn't necessarily come down to the, the, the COVID-19 test results. It doesn't come down to that necessarily, Josh, although that is the main focal point. What it really comes down to is scheduling. And will this team uh, – sorry, and will the schedule be – long enough in in a sense that they're able to jam in the amount of games that the Canucks have left to play with the amount of games and days left uh, in the regular season before the playoffs begin because the playoffs are scheduled to go or were scheduled I should say for May 11th and the regular season was supposed to come to an end on May 8th. Now we know that's already being extended. There's going to be regular season hockey being played in May 11th but that's a lot of games that the Canucks got to fill, fill in in a very short amount of time with Will it make sense from the NHL's point of view to, to play those games when the Canucks already might be out of it? That's the situation that I think I'm talking about where, yeah, you might be able to get these games in, but is it worth it? Yeah. 
So so that's that's what we're talking about here on Scientextra. We're not talking about the the fact that this COVID-19 is going to impact the Canucks season because everybody's too sick to play. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about scheduling here and how that makes a makes a big impact. For sure, yeah. We we're not going to come on here and say we're doctors and yeah. this is how it, how it goes, but we talked about that at the beginning of the show, Josh, right? Exactly. We come here to talk about sports, not to give diagnosis. Yeah, and and to your point, it's just about how much time is available. And right now, if you're the Vancouver Canucks and you're the National Hockey League looking at a team that, barring a miracle, is not going to make the playoffs, yep. you look at how much time they have left in the schedule and you have one of two choices. Either you compact the rest of their games in such a tight window that you risk more injuries to a team that's going to struggle to get back into game shape or you maybe take a few games off the end of their schedule because they're probably going to end up in the same spot in the standings anyway, and you just make it a bit easier on the players and on the other teams in the division that don't have to compact their schedule as much ahead of the playoffs. And these were things, Josh, that we had talked about in the beginning of the season when it started and when this 56-game season was announced, we had talked about the fact that we might run into a situation where games might be canceled and where some teams might have to play less games than the other teams and we'll figure out the playoffs and the draft lottery standings and everything like that based on a points percentage, right? We had these good discussions already, so I'm not really surprised that we're in this situation now. Uh, I, I just think that it's a, a pretty reasonable conversation to have uh, at this time. And to be fair, I think we, for the most part, I mean, Canada isn't immune to no. COVID-19, but I think we thought it would play more of a factor down south, but it's kind of the timing of it all, right? Like yeah. if the Canucks had gone through this earlier in the season, maybe they would have been able to figure out how to get the games on the schedule but it's such a short window it's probably going to be about 30 days they have of trying to fit in how many games would it be 19 19 games like that's a few back-to-backs and aside from that games every other night and that's just not feasible for especially for a team that's going to be coming out of uh, a prolonged break where they haven't played in what's going to be two two and a half weeks and expecting them to get right back into game shape and trying to keep everyone healthy. Yeah, it's a scary situation that the Canucks are in right now. We'll try and provide more updates as they come along. But uh, the latest one, more positives uh, in addition to the eight earlier today uh, that the the Vancouver Canucks have had within their organization in regards to to COVID-19. Hey, uh, speaking of the Canucks, they might have another a new rival coming into town next season. The Seattle Kraken are getting set to join the National Hockey League. What does that mean for the rest of the NHL? What does that mean for trades and these side deals? We'll talk about we'll talk a little about that as well as Ryan Clark from the Athletic was on these airwaves earlier. We'll hear from Ryan Clark uh, and also Josh has just picked up a new sport. We'll talk about that as well. It's Roger Shergill. It's Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sports Night tonight. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sports Night tonight with Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Final segment of the show. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. What's going on, Vancouver? Hope you guys are off to a good start for your weekend. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll 
wrap up this week that is uh, quite forgettable if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan and if you're a sports fan in this city uh, with all that is going on around the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, a very tough situation, obviously, uh, with the eight positive COVID tests in the Vancouver Canucks organization and now reports indicating that we're about to see more on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll probably have a better idea of that coming uh, tomorrow morning, I would assume. Uh, final segment of the show, Roger Sergio, Josh Elliott Wolf, as mentioned, we'll hear from Ryan Clark, who was on uh, earlier on today with uh, Randeep Janda, Satya, uh, Dan Riccio, no Satya shot today, but it was the People's Show. Uh, they discussed uh, Seattle crack and hockey. We'll talk about that in a few minutes' time. Um, but Josh, you have a new sport that... Uh, that you're picking up again. You you played it for a while, and then you stopped playing it. It's yep. a very common sport. It's nothing unusual. It's golf, the game of golf that everybody uh, has either a love or a hate relationship with it. Uh, but you are once again picking up your golf clubs and getting ready to, to hit the links in a, about a week's time. Yeah, I used to go, I don't want to say all the time, but I went relatively often in my early teens because my dad was super into golfing and – I would go with him, but I probably haven't played a full round consistently in, let's say, four or five years. So this this spring and summer, I've decided that I am going to get fully back into golfing. I've done a bunch of research, and uh, yeah, last week I, I lot, hit the range for the first time. A and, lot of YouTube tutorials. Yes, YouTube tutorials. R slash <laughs> golf on Reddit has been my go-to lately. All right. How to hold a golf club. <laughs> yes. The proper grip. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sw- yeah. Swing. I, I've started looking at like what the pr- the best shoes to get. Let, let me put it this way. Like for me personally, I've been golfing for about three or four years now. So it hasn't been long. It hasn't been long at all. And obviously golf season is only a few months long. Right. Uh, and then you kind of want to golf when the weather is nice. And, and then the summer, sorry, in the winter, I know some people do golf a lot, uh, but uh, me, as much as I enjoy golf, I probably don't do it. Shouldn't don't do, wouldn't enjoy doing it uh, in the winter as much as I would in the nice weather of spring and summer. Um, so in about three or four years, my golf game should probably be better than where it is now. Right. So I'm pretty embarrassed of my golf game. And Let's put it that way. But I, I, think, but I still thoroughly enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And my thought with golfing is like, hey, last summer, obviously it was COVID. I didn't really do too much. And I wasn't really in a position where I could go golfing because I just didn't have clubs or whatever. This year, I've gotten all set up, so I think I'm I'm good to go. And I I'm going to we're we're gonna have to compare because, like you said, you've been golfing for three or four years. <laughs> I just recently picked it back up. So right. if I can beat you in a round, we've got some problems. Do we need? Do we make one of those uh, Dan Riccio, Randy Panda <laughs> wagers? Yeah, except it's Sportsnet tonight, so like three people will know about it. Okay. Hey, we've hey. Got... Well, text in if you're listening and want <laughs> us to put a one chip challenge on the line. If we uh, had... hey, uh, let me tell you this, bunch. I am not putting a one chip <laughs> challenge on the line. It will not be a one chip challenge. Not in this. No, hell no. <laughs> not in this house. No, no, not a chance in hell. Okay, well, I think if we get five texts, five separate texts from five different people. If we get ten texts saying that, Raja, do the one-chip challenge, I'll do it. Ten texts. Ten, te- ten texts, and I have to beat you in a round hey, of Ten calls. texts, and you have to beat me, uh, and they've got to come by the end of the show. So ten texts if you want me to do the one-chip challenge. I guarantee you nobody wants to see me suffer because people love me. 
so they will not text in. You're the people's champ. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so people love me. They won't want to text in. I'm using the uh, long weekend as a little bit of an excuse here. But at the end of the day, I'm not doing the one-chip challenge because, first of all, I'm going to beat you. And second of all, it's kind of embarrassing if I don't. We're already getting a couple texts right now. <laughs> and and third of all, listen, we're, we're not doing it. I'm we not, got two. We're already uh, 20% of the way there. I'm not doing it. It's not going <laughs> to happen. Hey. Raja, do it for the South Asian community. Hey, for the South Asian community, I'm a very you know strong uh, part of this South Asian community. I love my fellow South Asians. If you love me back, you wouldn't be texting in right now. We, we just saw how well Randeep handled it. So Jenda is something else, man. <laughs> Listen, I, I he was know scary. I was like, man, I, this I guy know, is I know, like level. from you know, I come from the the South Asian community, and we love our spice. That's what a lot of people say. Uh, <laughs> not me, not me. <laughs> I I can't even. I can't do it. Like I hate spice. I hate spice. See, funny, funny, because I'm actually like I'm pretty into spice. Like I right. grew up in a house where my parents use like hot sauce on everything and different kinds of hot sauce so right. i don't know if it's necessarily going to translate well into doing like a one ship challenge or whatever i don't think i'm gonna have to do it anyway but regardless i i feel like i'm almost more prepared to do it than you would be but also maybe not who knows i love spicy food more but plenty of love left over for you that's what the texture says oh. well if you love me so much then then don't text it come on but listen I'm going to beat you in this round of golf. I, I It would be embarrassing if I don't because of the fact that, again, I've been golfing for a couple of years more than you. But that being said, my golf game isn't all that great. It's, uh, you know, it's sometimes sometimes it's awesome. Like, sometimes I'll play around where I'm like, wow, that was it was a great shot off the tee. The approach shot was great as well. Maybe it'll take me a couple to get, on, get onto the green and, hey, you know, I'll two-putt or something for bogey. Because right. I'm not parring for the most part. Dude. Right, I'll, I'll two-putt for bogey, and, and I'll be happy with that. Other times, man, we're reaching like the seven or eight or nine mark. like uh, of and, and that's where uh, the golf clubs sometimes, uh, they, need to, they need to remain in the bag. Otherwise, if they're in my hand, who knows where they're going. We got a text in from Nick. Has to be match play style full round. So <laughs> the one up, one down. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that, w- that would work. Honestly, though, no. um, look, so I w- I played my first kind of half round. I played nine holes at a par three sure. in-, in Surrey. And, hey, look, I I didn't have a great round. I think if I remember correctly, I shot a 43, so I was 16 over par. I'm I'm probably going to be challenging for the PGA Tour next week, but um, <laughs> you'll be you'll be on the Masters <laughs> exactly on, yeah on Thursday. But that being said, I think I hit all fives. There were a couple sixes mixed in there, but then I had one four and one par. So I'm holding on to that par, and I'm pretty sure that that will just translate into all my subsequent rounds, and I I'll just be. I'll be progressing throughout the summer, and at the end of the summer, I'll be hitting birdies and pars all day. Did Nick just say one chip, meh? One chip, meh. As if, like, yeah, sorry, I can, I can handle one chip. No, you can't handle one chip. <laughs> I'm not doing the one chip challenge. And listen, this is what we get for listening, and to, we, we do a lot of the producing, you and I do, on the People's Show, formerly known as Reach Deep. 
We do a lot of the producing on those guys uh, on that show and Reach Deep, uh, sorry, Randeep and and Dan Riccio, they like to put themselves through pain. They put their body on the line. Yeah, Sportsnet tonight doesn't do that. They're blocking shots. Yeah. We are we're dodging out of the way. <laughs> yeah. We don't do that. We know the goalie's back there. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's what the padding is for. Come on. We don't do that. Yeah. I don't I don't want to take a puck to the skate. Oh, come on. Gross. Gross. Yeah, the Masters coming up this weekend. Also, <laughs> so not only have I gotten it's into playing segue. golf. Yes. Gotten into watching golf. I've gotten into watching golf as well. So I'm pretty sure this this coming weekend I'm going to be sat. I, I, I think I work every day. But as much as I can, I'm going to be watching the Masters. And that's, that's the nice part about working at a sports station is I kind of have to watch golf all day. Well, Masters is... First of all, I love watching the Masters. I love watching all golf. I'm a big golf fan uh, in terms of viewing it. So the Masters is going to be, you know, viewing for me all day on Thursday. And, you know, as as negative as the Canucks tests uh, situation is, obviously the positive tests, but as, as negative as the whole situation is with the Vancouver Canucks going through what they are going through, uh, Thursday's game is when Thursday is when they're, I guess allowed technically to be playing next. Is that a game that's going to get postponed? I would assume so. We might not see them play next Thursday either, but that means more golf for for us to watch because that's when the the Masters gets going on Thursday. Uh, it's, it's the best time of year. You got regularly you would have the Canucks playing. Yep. Blue Jays Mariners season just got underway, so you're not you're not sad about them yet if they're way <laughs> out of a playoff hunt and. The best tournament in golf, all on four days. Yep. And the only thing you're really missing is it's some, NFL. Some football. Yeah. Some football. Get that later in the year. You do. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf. Uh, by the way, n- yeah, I'm gonna beat you in this round of golf, but uh, next week maybe or, or the week after we'll we'll we'll, figure up- it out. we'll update these listeners. Uh, uh, we'll let you know first of all that I won, and second of all that no, I'm not doing the one chip challenge. Really confident. For a guy. No chance. No chance. We were talking off air, and you said you had recently also played 18 <laughs> holes at a par three. Don't, and you were don't, your don't, best don't nine was score. one shot ahead of me. Don't say so my there, score. that being said, <laughs> your other nine was behind me. But that was also that was also me playing after a few months. Listen, once I get back into the groove of things, I'll shoot much better. We're getting into the groove at the same time. We are getting into the groove. Uh, you know what? Ryan Clark is in the groove of covering everything. Seattle Kraken. They're coming into the NHL uh, this uh, or next season in the fall. But what's going to happen with all of the trade speculation regarding the Kraken? That team is already trying to take a few calls from some general managers, it seems like. Are they going to be partaking in these side deals? Are the Canucks going to be included? What's going to happen? And how does this trade deadline impact what's what's happening uh, with the Seattle Kraken? Ryan Clark joined Dan Riccio and Randeep Janda on the People's Show earlier on today to discuss all of that and more. If you're the Seattle Kraken, you're in a position where you're trying to look at everybody's situation and assess what's going on. And so when you think about Ron Francis getting these phone calls. It only makes sense because if you're a team right now looking at making a move before on deadline day, you're trying to figure out, okay, if I do this, how do we maybe work out a situation where I can protect the player that we're trading for, especially if they have a year or more remaining on their contract? And if so, 
what's the conversation like with Seattle? Because if you're Ron Francis and that team, you know there's going to be change. It's just a matter of what do all the pieces look like when it's done. And if you see something that's, that's really intriguing if you're the Kraken, why not take that chance? It's just that if you're an opposing general manager, the reality is there's two things you've got to keep in mind during this season, one being the flat cap, the second being in the expansion draft. And the thing is this, both of them are going to work out in the Kraken's favor. Absolutely. Ryan, always great to have you on the station here on Sportsnet 650. And uh, you kind of hit it there with the flat cap. There was this potential learning after the Vegas experiment where, okay, they're coming into the league and all these GMs made these deals that, that they regretted later on. This will never happen again. COVID has clearly changed that, hasn't it? It certainly has just because, you know, when you look at the side deal component of it, people felt like, okay, did you over leverage in situations? And of course, the examples that come to mind are the Minnesota Wild, as well as the Florida Panthers. Whereas if you look at things now, depending upon your team, there's going to be some situations. So let's take a team like the Nashville Predators as as a really strong example of all this. It wasn't that long ago. This was a team people thought, okay, they're going to hit the reset button. Now you look at them and go, maybe this is a playoff team who is to say. And when you put it in that context, what happens to Matias Ekholm really changes everything. So for one, he has one year left on his deal, $3.75 million. And if you're talking about the expansion draft, then let's say they hold on to him. If you're the Predators, do you go 7-3-1 <clears throat> or do you go 4-4? Four and four? Either way, you're going to look to protect him because he's, he's a priority of what you do. But if you move him, then it means a couple things. One, the team that gets him, suddenly they've got to figure out the calculus on their end about, okay, who do we protect, uh, who do we expose, and more importantly, who do we try to throw Seattle's way to say, don't do this if we give you X, Y, and Z. Whereas if you're the Kraken looking at the Predators, suddenly the options become a little bit more narrow. So, and again, a situation where Matias Ekholm stays, if you're the Kraken, you're looking at some bottom six forwards like Luke Kunin, who's 23 and makes $2.3 million. Colton Sissons, who's 27, who makes $2.8 million. And Callie Yornkroak, who is 29, it's making $2 million. And the thing you have with those three players is you have three two-way players who can work the PK, who provide offensive contributions in Yornkroak's, in Yornkroak's uh, I guess you could say, season and case, a lot of offensive output. And to take them off the board, who does that leave you with? Is it possible you get Nick Cousins? Is it possible you get Matt Benning? Is Matt Benning off the board? Who's to say? So that's why just – one move in one team makes a really big difference. Ryan Clark of The Athletic joining us. Um, you, you did a deep dive and looking into to Ron Francis and what he did as the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. What of his resume from the Canes, you know, w- what will that tell us about how he's strategizing right now with the Kraken? You know, a couple of things. First is how he manages money. And the point he made was, he looked at managing the owner's money much the same way it was his own. And when you look at what previous ownership before Tom Dundon was like in Carolina, the numbers speak for themselves. The Hurricanes and Francis's final three seasons were either third or higher in salary cap funds left over, and it was always in excess of $10 million. If you're the Kraken, it's not to say that you're not thinking about finances because you are, everyone is, but here's the thing you've seen what it's like when an expansion team is really good out of the gate in the NHL. And when you talk to people who've been involved with previous expansion teams, they've all said, if we could take advantage of the rules that Vegas and Seattle have, who's to say what this would have looked like 
for the Wild or the Blue Jackets or whomever when they were coming into the NHL. And so there is going to be that need to spend money, but also the other advantage that they've got with it is with this, I think, financially responsible. It allows them to be a free agency player, and you never know what could be out there because presumably, depending on how they work the draft, they're going to be able to really compete for some big names if those big names make it to free agency. And then there's the next component of this. It is how they draft. And so when you look at what the Hurricanes did under Ron Francis, like it was the fact that they were able to draft so well that they found talent in all seven rounds, and it's talent that's competed for the Hurricanes today, or in some cases it's been talent that Don Waddell, his predecessor, well, the person who plays him, of course, has been able to use to get to deals. Like the players Francis drafted is what helped Waddell land players like Vincent Trocek, um, and, and you see how that's made an impact for them. Of course, there's the Dougie Hamilton trade, which is another one. So that's just it. It's like when you look at how they've gone about doing it, whether it's drafting and developing these players like Sebastian Ajo or Martin Nachos, whether it's the players who've been moved in those other deals to get players back or how they manage money, the thought is if the Hurricanes don't tighten the purse strings, much like what Ron Francis dealt with in Carolina, this has the potential to be pretty successful. You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Ryan Clark of The Athletic. Ryan, uh, when we have talked to uh, Ron Francis or anybody from our station has talked to Ron Francis, he's uh, been uh, very secretive about any hints even dropping, uh, you know, a coach hire and all of that. Uh, what's the sense on the timeline? Because we're up against it here. I know the expansion draft is uh, not that long away. Well, Craig and CEO Todd Laywicki said about a little bit more than a month ago that they were going to wait till the end of the regular season because there might be some candidates that they want to look at who at the end of the year might suddenly become available. Granted, that's a little cryptic, but it does give some insight into the fact that maybe there is someone currently under contract who's on an expiring contract that they're very interested in seeing, or maybe they want to see how someone performs in a playoff environment. The point is this. They're not going to be short of options because when you look at who's available, Right now, Gerard Gallant, of course, is the name that keeps coming up. Bruce Boudreau is another name. Claude Julien, who was just uh, recently dismissed from the Montreal Canadiens, is another name. But who's to say what other names may not be available? And so that's just the thing with the Kraken is they've made a little bit of a secret of, well, not a little bit, they've made a massive secret of what they're not going to do. But at the same time, it's kind of been their trademark. I mean, yes, for all the conversations about what the team name would be and did this person get it right, get it wrong. When you think about things like the logo and the color scheme in an era where everything leaks, they manage to keep it under lock and key. And it appears they might be doing the same with who's going to be the first head coach in franchise history. That is Ron Clark from the athletic Seattle, former writer for the athletic Denver, where he covered the Colorado avalanche. Now moving on to Seattle, South of the border, uh, great interview there. Great uh, insight, as always, from Ryan Clark. Love having him on the air. Um, yeah, man, it's a, an interesting scenario with the Seattle Kraken, Josh, because, first of all, uh, this kind of this starts now, right? The, the Seattle Kraken are going to pay their final uh, expansion fee uh, coming up, I think, believe it, a couple of weeks now. Then they're going to be eligible to be joining these general manager meetings, and then it all gets real, right? You're going to start to have conversations with all the other general managers and are there side deals that need to be made to try and keep certain players on your team? Are the Canucks part of those side deals? Because who do they protect on forward? We know the the big, we know the obviously the core group of players that are going to be protected. But then there are guys like Zach McEwen that the Canucks also want to keep. Where does Vertanen fit into this? Where does Tyler Mott fit into this? Where does a guy like Cole Lind 
fit into all of this. So these are all situations that the Canucks need to handle. And 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 if the Braden Holpe, you know, goaltender isn't the guy that ends up going to Seattle, then you know what happens with the Canucks. So uh, it's a very fluid situation, Josh, and it's all happening very quickly. But uh, it's also unique in the sense that COVID nineteen is in the middle of all this, and and that puts another wrinkle into it. I do feel like the Kraken expansion has kind of been the forgotten storyline this season, and it's pretty easy to forget because hey, it's. It's a weird year, and there's a lot happening as far as flat cap goes, especially in Vancouver. Like, there's been a lot of off ice stuff, whether it be related to Jim Benning, whether it be related to contracts. And another wrinkle in the Seattle expansion talk is that they don't have a head coach yet, and Travis Green doesn't have a contract yet. So maybe he's a guy yeah. that comes up and. I, I do think if Travis Green and Rod Brindamore got to free agency, I guess, as far as coaches can get to free agency, yep. the Kraken would rather have Brindamore. But that being said, Travis Green would probably be pretty high on their list. I would assume so. And, uh, you know, just being two or three hours just down the I-5, it would be a pretty uh, attractive option, I believe, also for uh, a Travis Green. But here's the thing. Even though you mentioned there, Rod Brendam or Josh, I, I don't think I'm not, I'm not putting too much emphasis on uh, Rod Brendamore's contract situation with the Carolina Hurricane. That's a great team. I do think that they're going to keep him around. Travis Green's a little bit different, right? You've got the general manager that might be on the hot seat as well. How does that play into things? You might have a new GM, for that matter, coming in who might make that decision. So a little bit different in Vancouver, and how does everything get impacted there? We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, we're going to be at the top of that story uh, in the offseason as well. Um, Seattle? Just a quick note, has just done so many things differently than usual, right? We know that they're putting such an emphasis on their analytics. We know that they have the Climate Pledge Arena, that they're doing all they can to, to reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, and they're obviously doing a great job of being inclusive and giving everybody the opportunity to, to join that squad and really make a difference. Uh, I look at overseas in Switzerland and is... Rickard Gronberg, a coach that they look at to bring in to, to to really give him his first real chance at coaching in the National Hockey League. He is very qualified to do so. He's had some interviews, but as we know, the NHL's coaching regimen is is kind of just recycling the old coaches again, right? And those players, those coaches who were successful, even if it was 10 or 15 years ago in regards to winning a Stanley Cup, they're the ones who kind of keep on coming back and there are some good coaches on the market right now as well. Gerard Gallant, Claude Julian, to name a couple. We'll see where that lands, but I'm interested to see how everything from a transaction point of view starts uh, you know, working with Seattle, and, and I think we're going to start having these conversations more and more often uh, as this season becomes to begins to come to an end here uh, and as soon as that final expansion fee is paid for the Seattle Kraken. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. That's it for us. Sportsnet tonight on a long weekend. Hope everybody enjoys their weekend. And yeah, we never got the appropriate amount of texts, and so no one chip challenge for me, even if you do beat me. Dang. Even if you do beat me, but guess what? You're not gonna beat me. It's all good. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. Hope you guys enjoy your long weekend. Stay safe. Please, everybody, make sure everybody is uh, doing 
anything that they do uh, in a in a safe and controlled environment. Wear a mask. Be safe. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sportsnet tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. You're on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.